get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, maybe they just have some catching up to do. Because we didn't get a, a Episode 9 trailer when we thought we were getting to. So now the rumor mill is talking about not one, not two, but three. Three separate teaser clips to air during the Super Bowl next month. And that's something that we've talked about here on Rebel Force Radio for, for a while, thinking that that was more likely than that holiday time period when people are so distracted and so busy. Uh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, in my judgment, to release a trailer at that time. Uh, this makes a heck of a lot more sense. But um, what, they're, what they're claiming is that this will sort of um, you know, get us uh, excited about then seeing the real trailer, the full trailer at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more here at Rebel Force Radio this week's show for Friday, January 25th, 2019. And speaking of Chicago, I'd like you to meet my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Uh, other than the trailers, a lot of people have also been talking about and taking note that it was on this week... In 2017, when we learned the name of Episode 8, The Last Jedi. So people are preparing themselves for an eventual name release, at the very least, to happen at some point before January ends. But I don't know. Things have changed so much with the entertainment industry and with the way that content is produced and distributed and marketed that I, as far as Star Wars is concerned in 2019, I am taking the words of Julie Chen at the beginning of every episode of Big Brother to heart when I say, expect the unexpected. <laughs> you know what? I, my whole lunch group uh, that I that I lunch with, they were all talking about Celebrity Big Brother, and yeah. I thought, gosh, I just need to like switch places with Jimmy Mack. Right? No matter what Jimmy Mack is doing right now, I would probably be happier where he is, and he'd be happier where I am. <laughs> I like normal Big Brother, where you uh, have regular people in there. Celebrity Big Brother is too much of a phony baloney show. Um, yeah. But it's, so you're, not, you know, you're not watching it? Are you not going to watch it? No, I am watching it, of course, because <laughs> I need my weekly dose of Julie Chen. Oh, oh, that's it. Who, no, who now goes by Julie Chen Moonves, which is uh, really... Oh, is she, is she still with that dude? Yeah, yeah. She She's never left with, his uh, side, right? Okay. Yeah, and yeah. he's no longer with CBS. What I would love to see is 
you take the autograph hall from Star Wars Celebration and you put them all in a house for three months, cut them off from the rest of the world, and see what happens. I think that would be something that could end up on the Disney Plus streaming service or something. I mean, imagine you have Peter Mayhew in there with Mark Hamill and uh, Anthony Daniels. Anthony Daniels would have Warwick to be Davis. There. Warwick would have to be there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Would be amazing, you know. Um, yeah. you would have uh, Natalie Portman or her assistant or somebody. <laughs> you know, maybe Natalie's sister or something. Because yeah, no, you'll I, never you get Natalie. Get a, no, we'll no, never you never get. Me. I don't even think we've ever had a handmaiden show up at a convention. Well, the handmaidens all went off to be famous. You've got Kira Knightley, right? You've got Sophia Coppola, yeah, um, and uh, Rose uh, Byrne. Rose, Rose Byrne. Byrne was that was that Corday? Uh, she was, uh, yes, episode two at the very beginning. Oh, Corday, when she gets blown up. Yes, she gets blown yeah. up real good. <laughs> but you put them all together into a house. Yeah, I love this idea. Know, along with uh, you know Mark Dodson, the guy who did the laugh for Salacious Crumb. Yeah. Oh, just he that, could just provide the, the, the effects. Yeah, just for laughter, you know, just... Right. <laughs> you know, whenever anything wacky happens in the house, he can laugh <clears throat> Yeah, I love that idea. You know, the WWE streaming network, uh, they did that for a, for, for a season. They, they had like, oh, God rest his soul, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund, the, the, the late Mean Gene, um, as well as Roddy Piper, the late Roddy Piper yeah. as well. Um, and, and a whole slew of uh, maybe Hillbilly Jim was in there, but a bunch of the 80s and um, 90s superstars. And they put them all in a house and did, did just that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it got, um, I got to say, I mean, it, it, there were some really poignant moments, you know, that they were, you could tell that there was some sincerity and you could tell the scripted moments, of course. But I love this idea. Star Wars, Star Wars, Big Brother. Reality. A big bro- Star Wars, Big Brother. Exactly. Star Wars, Big Brother. So uh, let's get on that, CBS, and make yeah. it happen, or, or Disney, <laughs> or whoever. Let's you put them all together in a house. That would be a hoot, I think. That would be, <laughs> that would be a good time. <laughs> I'd watch. I would watch. Hey, speaking of a good time, we're going to have a good time this week on Rebel Force Radio, as we always do. And uh, lately, we've just had, I've just been really, my heart has been warmed by some of the voicemails and the emails and some of the chatter on uh, social media for a change. And just everybody seems to be really enjoying uh, Rebel Force Radio. Uh, Not that you haven't before, but it just seems like there's something going on. We've kind of... um, uh, we've ridden some waves lately, and things seem to be really evening out. And we, we, we thank you all so much for being there for us. And uh, we love the comments. We love the email. Show at rebelforceradio.com. And, uh, you know, doing this show, we've had the opportunity to meet a lot of really great people. And I don't mean just uh, celebrities uh, associated with the Star Wars franchise, but people that start off listeners and become good friends. And we've got one of them in studio with us. Uh, in our Chicago studio, and he goes by the name of Barry Harmon. And Barry Harmon, uh, welcome to Rebel Force Radio. Thank you. Thank Gonna you. Going to be sitting in with us the whole time. Now, Barry uh, is a member of our, the RFR Patreon community and has been uh, heard on some of those uh, special shows with Jimmy Mack. And no, Pat. he hasn't. No, no, he, no he hasn't. I've oh, name dropped a lot. He's been name dropped a few. <laughs> I times. thought he did. I thought he did Q and A with you. No, no, he hasn't stepped it up to the Q and A. Kind of a cheap ass guy, I is know. it? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think Barry. I have that. I guy thought for sure. No, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, Barry's a great guy, and yeah, he contributes to the Patreon community. He contributes to the uh, URFR Facebook page. Perfect. 
and Erfer, and uh, he's a, a good guy that I've gotten to know, you know, local Chicago guy, and uh, we've been able to hang out at the Galloping Ghost Arcade a few times. I've gotten to know Barry, and Barry is uh, one of the guys behind the website Sega Bits, which is one of the biggest Sega websites on the web. He co-hosts Sega Talk, the podcast, and the Swing and Report Show podcast. <laughs> And knows a lot about Sega and, most specifically, video games. And that's why I wanted to have Barry ride shotgun with us this week is because we have some interesting stories coming up about Electronic Arts, EA, and their rocky history with Star Wars video games. Mm. Along with some very strong opinions voiced by Rogue One writer Gary Witta about the whole situation. And... um I found this story, uh, as it happened this week, I I found it to be incredibly intriguing, specifically Gary Witta's comments. So, Mm. Barry, um, I'm looking forward to getting into that story with you a little bit and having you here so you can kind of fill in the blanks for me and Jason. Because as much as we love playing video games, I wouldn't exactly call us video game experts. And you are a video game expert. Oh, boy. Well, thank you so much for the praise. Um, I I follow the news. I have opinions. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. I did want to say uh, happy, what is it, six-year anniversary, right, to RFR? Oh, my God. Yeah. Has it been six years? Last Holy week, crap. I think, was the uh, the anniversary date. No well, kidding. I'll tell you, I, I easily f- have six years of emotional scarring. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably... No, I, actually, this has been one of the most fulfilling... You know how you count the rings on a tree? Well, you, you just count <laughs> the scars on Jimmy yeah. <laughs> But it has been a fulfilling experience, and you're absolutely right. I think Rebel Force Radio debuted on this date, January 25th. In 2013, and now I'm not 100 percent sure on that, it, it, but it's it's we're somewhere in the ballpark here. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh well, thank you so much for acknowledging that. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, the same amount of time I think as the previous show, just about. So you're oh, gonna, you're going to surpass it. Oh, God, this is this is great news. This I remember is good news. Wait, when I yeah. first started co-hosting full time with Jason. You know, I was a show contributor and. Um, I hosted uh, those microcasts back in the day. Right. Well, and you were a producer. You did a lot behind the scenes. Right. I worked on polishing every show. up the shows and and supplying audio and all that yeah. stuff and ideas. Yeah. And but you know, I was comfortable without having the weekly responsibility of being behind the microphone. Now I love it. I mean, I I, I don't even I couldn't even imagine life without it. But uh, at that time, I felt like I just had too much on my plate. So when Pete Nadel stepped down from the original show. And I made the decision to to step up and, and, you know, do the show with Jason every week. I was so happy when I realized I had done more shows than Pete. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I made it. I made it. And you kind of go through that process. I mean, it's it's no knock on Pete or anything. Not yeah, at all. I course, mean, he, he, those were big shoes to fill. But I just, you know, would you want to sort of establish your own thing you look at little milestones like that along the way and this is definitely a milestone because i think the old show went six years Mm -hmm. just a little bit over maybe six and a half years Mm -hmm. so we'll have to figure it like it down you know what i think i can tell you it was about six years and four months in four months so by the time star wars celebration rolls around in april we'll definitely be celebrating our uh eclipse of the, uh, the the timeline from the old show, 
and uh, and, and all that in, in movie. But, but quite honestly, you know, I'm I'm glad you bring it up because I've only just been thinking about moving forward, and uh, and uh, only looking back when um, you know the the opportunity presents itself. So. Let the past die. <laughs> Kill it if you have to. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's talk about the future, shall we? That's right, Star Wars Celebration, 76 days, 9 hours, 46 minutes, and 30 seconds to be exact. Wow, that's all off the top of your head, isn't it? Yeah, right Rain, off the top Rain of my Man. head. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm counting the toothpicks right now as they lay on the floor of the diner. April 11th through the 15th, 2019, in the, uh, of course, the uh, beautiful McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. We are just, can't, we cannot wait. We are so excited to get back to Star Wars Celebration. And, um, Jim, since we have two native Chicagoans here, yourself, and you've already shared a number of of uh, ideas, and uh, Chris Mocked, we had him uh, last week, and uh, or was it, or a couple weeks ago, and this this whole notion about Chicago, you know, being this place where you got to wear a flak jacket just to, you know, <laughs> run to the gas station uh, is just crazy. So we've got another local. We've got Barry. Hello. And so maybe Barry could share some uh, ideas, some tips, some best practices for those of you that are making the journey to the underworld. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll tell you how to make it. From uh, Union Station alive. But um, no, I I thought I would share some sightseeing tips. And I know when people come out here, a lot of them are super fans and they're just going to go to the convention and not leave. You know, and they're going to leave and go, man, I wish I looked at the city. Um, So I was thinking, you know, if you're coming in through Union Station and you're making that trek to uh, uh, Van Buren Street and then you take the Metra down to um, the McCormick stop. I mean, that's a, a popular way to get down there. It's an mm-hmm. easy, cheap way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make that walk up to Michigan almost daily, and, you know, it's it's no skin off. Well, it is some skin off my feet. It does hurt after months. <laughs> the winter We're supposed months. to wear shoes, man. Yeah, you you oh, got to have the shoes downtown. Oh, right. That's oh, yeah. a big tip. I'll try that right, tomorrow. Right. But um, <laughs> I was just going to mention, you know, if you are coming into Union Station, there are some cool movie locations uh, nothing Lucasfilm that comes to my mind, but um, still some things that I think people who uh, like the Star Wars movies might get a kick out of. Um, so first off, when you're at Union Station, you can actually see the the old part of the station, and that's where, <laughs> in Man of Steel, he uh, snapped Zod's neck. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the stairway from The Untouchables, that famous scene where the, the oh. baby carriage is going down. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert for those. Andy Garcia. That's that's in the Grand Hall at Union Station, which is, uh, as Barry was saying, the older part of the building. Mm -hmm. Um, But it looks, you'll go there and look at it, and and you'll see that stairwell, and it looks like it's right out of the movie. It's exactly the same. Do not reenact that scene. (laughs) Oh, I've Um, done it a few times. At least not with a real baby. Exactly. Uh, They frown on that. Yeah, yeah. I I reenacted it one night after a long series of drinking at Miller's Pub, and I ended up reenacting it. And I wasn't planning on reenacting it, but I just sort of did reenact it. I went. Did you return the baby? I went down those steps faster than that carriage. Let me tell you. And there was no Andy Garcia waiting at the bottom to to you know cushion my fall. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, well, if you want to get away from that crime scene, you can walk down Jackson 
and just take a great look at the city over the bridge. It's, you know, I, I rarely stop to look at it, but every so often I get sentimental and I'll mm-hmm. look. And you'll notice, you'll, you'll, you'll notice familiar sights from the Transformers films That's right. and the Batman movies, That's the, right. the Dark Knight films. Uh, yeah, in uh, Suicide Squad, I think Midway City, as they call it, is that stretch where <laughs> they fly over. If you've seen that movie, um, <laughs> if you keep Barry, walking, are you are you born and raised Chicago? No, no, no. I'm from the Midwest, though. I'm from Minnesota. Oh, 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 sure. But I've spent yeah. a lot of time in Chicago for school, okay. and I came uh-huh. back uh, after a, a, a bit of a time away. But I just I love exploring the city and looking for these places. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you walk down Jackson. I'm trying to think. You'll pass the Chicago Board of Trade, and that's a big spot for Dark Knight fans. Mm-hmm. That's where the trailer flipped over, and that's also where Gordon's fake funeral was held. Um, oh, yeah. And interestingly, oh. just a Never few f- steps away, you're going to see a scene from uh, Batman versus Superman of Metropolis, where it's these two statues in front of the Board of Trade. If you go into the Mondanoc building, which is a beautiful building, um, very well preserved, you feel like you're stepping back in time, you'll see some storefronts that were used also in Batman versus Superman when they were showing like no one's around because they're all at his, spoiler alert, uh, funeral. And um, What? Sorry. and uh let's see i just got a few more if you keep going if you take a right on van not not on van buren on uh uh, wabash you'll see the toy store from child's play and uh that's oh no kidding yeah yeah that's cool okay yeah yeah. now that area does look quite a bit different though because of the fact i mean that movie was shot in the late 80s and and yeah on wabash they've they fixed up a lot of that area Mm -hmm. there um, but I mean, it's a very famous area. It's underneath the train tracks, That's the right. the L, the elevated train in Chicago, and and you'll recognize spots from the Blues Brothers there on Wabash when uh, Carrie opened fire with that rocket launcher on the hotel that uh, that Joliet Jake was living in. That's on Wabash. Mm-hmm. Um, also, right underneath, there's a pedway system that runs underneath the city of Chicago, so you can walk around from place to place underground, and you'll see familiar locations from the Dark Knight movies where Batman was riding his bat cycle Mm -hmm. and he was riding through the pedway. Also, if you're um, back up uh, on the main level there and you're uh, still walking down Jackson from Union Station, you'll get the Jackson and LaSalle. And that is the scene of a very big moment in the dark night when the Joker stood out in the middle of the street and he shot down the helicopter. And I remember walking to work one day and walking by the, the, all this helicopter debris in the middle of the street. And I was like, oh my God, this is for the Batman. And it was so long ago, I had a Razor phone. And I remember that was the first time I ever took my phone out to snap a photograph of anything. You know, wow. and I did it. I took the picture on the phone, and then I didn't know how to access the damn <laughs> photo. <laughs> this razor phone. But so th- that's a lot of good stuff to do in the city if you're sightseeing. Also, you'll see um, there's tons of familiar uh, locations from uh, The Fugitive, mm-hmm. which uh, you have a Harrison Ford connection there. And uh, other movies, of course, like I said, a lot of those Transformer movies were shot in Chicago if you're looking for something a little more recently. Yeah. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and so some of those John Hughes movies were shot downtown. So you'll see familiar areas for sure if, if you're a movie fan. But no Star Wars. Well, there is a George Lucas thing you can check out at the University of Chicago. They have the Gordon Parks Hall, which he and Melody paid for. Oh, no um, kidding. You can't go inside, but you can walk around. It's a beautiful building. And, of course, that campus is the fictional campus for Indiana Jones, who attended... 
the University of Chicago. And of course, later this summer, you'll be able to visit the George Lucas Museum of Narrative oh, Art God, being built uh, in downtown Chicago, right next to Soldier Field. And, uh. Oh, wait. Oh, no. It's still a parking <laughs> lot. I'm sorry. You have to Save go to L.A. the parking lot. Save the parking lot. We'll see you in L.A. in 2021 or whenever that thing opens up. George Lucas does actually still maintain a residence in downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. Lucas sightings are still rather frequent, and uh, you never know. You might might just bump into GL when you're uh, in line at Whataburger Can they they just rename that museum the George Lucas Tax Shelter? Can we just call it what it really is? We know we know what it is. Listen, Come on. The guy, he's got warehouses. George is just dumping his cash. He's in got and... warehouses filled with artwork. What good does it do I, anyone with it all? I being know, I know. But hidden I away. Know. You know, and in the archive building at Skywalker Ranch, that stuff needs to get out there so people can see it and appreciate it. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> It sure does. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to put the challenge out because I've been to Chicago, oh, maybe a half a dozen times or, 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 or more. Yeah. And, uh, and Jim's never taken me to not one of those places. No. Not no, one no. of those places. I think the closest ever was Jimmy's doing like 80 miles an hour down one of those streets you just named. And he yeah. points off to the right. Hey, that's where they shot. Well, you know, it's, of course, it's a blur. I have no idea. <laughs> practically throwing up in the glove compartment. That was my, uh, that was my sightseeing tour. I just had to, had to see what your rental was made of. there. <laughs> That's right, but uh, I would love to see some of those uh, those those things. That, that, that's that's a good time. Uh, so, Barry, are you going to be taking a Star Wars Celebration attendees on the Barry Harmon tour of mm. famous film sites in Chicago? Hundred bucks a person. I'll definitely do it. <laughs> oh yeah, one of those buses with the top. You know, you could... yeah, or my my car. I can fit <laughs> <three> people. <laughs> Be, be in his Hyundai riding around. <laughs> two, two and a half people can fit inside. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool. That's cool. Thank yeah. you very much for that. And yeah, I mean, obviously, Star Wars fans are not just, uh, they don't just live and die by Star Wars alone. Many of us are big fans of other films and film franchises. And uh, so, yeah, that's there's a lot to see and a lot to do. And we'll be talking about that and so much more in the lead up to Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> May the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Play, goddamn you! My tooth. <laughs> Come on! Oh, here it is. Oh, there's the button. Hey, Jason and Jimmy. This is uh, Casey with the Movie Multiverse Podcast here in Atlanta. Um, I was just catching up, and I listened to all the most recent episode uh, about you know. Uh, space operas and, and whatnot, and uh, I was shocked to hear you both say that you've never actually cried during Star Wars, you know, but as a result of a scene or something that played out uh, in a Star Wars movie, um, because, wow, I mean, I, I feel sorry for you guys. I, I, I cry probably too much in, you know, fictionalized uh, cinema and whatnot, but... Uh, I guess it's just easy to get to me. I am a full-grown man with a family and kids and whatnot, but I don't know. I guess I just wear my heart on my sleeve in that way. And and being passionate about something, I guess, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to uh, 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 weep as a part of it, you know, when experiencing it. But, um, man, yeah, I feel like you haven't lived unless you've had a good Star Wars-induced cry. 
Um, I, I, I haven't had anything like that in the sequel trilogy. It's, it's, I've, I've loved it. I love episode seven and eight, but, um, uh, it's just, you know, evoked general emotions, you know, especially near the beginning of seven when getting back into that universe. And when it comes to the original trilogy, uh, the only time I've probably cried has been, you know, um, during the Vader funeral pyre, and that's post-prequels when viewing that scene because it carries so much more weight knowing the the history and the legacy of Anakin and Vader and whatnot. And that moment and how it's filmed, I always thought was really special. But uh, the prequels is actually where it hits me the most in uh, in Revenge of the Sith. I, 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 I remember crying in the theater during Order 66 when all the Jedi are getting cut down and everything's just happening all at once. It just really impacted me. And then I, I'll never not be able to cry during the scene on Mustafar uh, when, you know, it feels like the, 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 the climax of, of, of that whole trilogy um, where, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting and he's cut down, you know, he had the high ground you know, and whatnot. And he's there burning burning up, yelling at him. And, and, and Ewan McGregor's performance right then always affects me so much. Uh, you know, you were my brother, and it, you know, I, you were supposed to be the chosen one. All that it it, it it kills me, and I and I always cry. So, anyways, just wanted to throw in my two cents there because I I, I appreciate my my Star Wars cries, and I'm sorry <laughs> that y'all haven't had any. But let's see what JJ has cooking for uh, F9, and uh, see what can be done. All right. Thanks for what you do, guys. Hey, Bye. thank you, Casey. And once again, that was the Multiverse Podcast. So uh, go over and give that a listen. Listen and uh, weep. Yeah, <laughs> listen and weep with Casey. That's the new name <laughs> of his podcast. Uh, so let's ask Barry. Barry's new. All right, Barry. Okay, this is. Uh, let's just you know we're just we're just a few guys here telling stories, swapping lies. Uh, you ever cried watching one of the Star Wars people, movies out there? People ask me how was your time on RFR. Well, the first thing they asked me was, "Have I ever cried?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, tell us. Uh, you know, Casey was laying it all out there. And so uh, mm, what about mm. you? Any of the scenes ever brought you to tears? It's hard because I feel like the the only time I would cry is the first time I'm seeing it. After mm-hmm. that, it's like, well, this is how it must be. Anakin must, you know, get burnt to a crisp. I'm yeah. not going to feel for the guy. I know it's coming. But um, mm. I I don't think I've ever cried. But I think the whole, like, but when I was seeing The Phantom Menace on opening night before all the preconceived notions where it's like, you know, about whatever – I was just, you know, in the moment. And when he's, like, leaving his mom, I think this was around the time I started preparing, you know, to leave for college. Um, and mm. so mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. that sort of, like, leaving the nest thing. And it's, I think it's a nice scene. I think be, I think it's Jake Lloyd's best scene um, when he says, you know, like, will I ever see you again? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of people I, criticize that scene saying, how come he didn't cry? He was leaving his mom. Why didn't he cry? You know, why didn't we get a good in-universe cry? Well, because Steven Spielberg wasn't there to pull hairs out of his nose. That, <laughs> oh, is that how it works? <laughs> is that how Spielberg gets no, people? No, to- no, I, no. I don't think that's how I did it. But it is it is legendary. Uh, well, Spielberg is is known to to get great performance out of his actors, but the work that he did on E.T. with Drew Barrymore and the young man, what's his name? Uh, um, uh, Ooh, who is the who young played guy? Elliot. Uh, yeah. What was his name? Elliot, we'll just call him. Let's just call him Elliot. Uh, but it, I, I think there's some bonus features on, on one Thomas. of the home video releases. Thomas. Uh, yeah, Thomas, yes. Something Thomas. Yeah, That's yeah, like, yeah. John Boy. 
All right, but you, you were was saying he, was he John Boy? He wasn't. No, he wasn't no, John Boy. No, that was another no. Thomas. Thomas. That was another Thomas. Um, anyway, what I was saying is that it, it, it's it's quite legendary that that during the screen test that that, that the young boy had. Um, Spielberg was able to explain the scene in such a way uh, that he got this incredible performance out of the kid and he and he he cried and it was very, very emotional. And and he's just known for being able to do that. I I don't know why I can't. I, I, you know, I, I can picture Spielberg doing that. I can't picture George doing it. Now cry. <laughs> can you cry? He's not crying. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Next shot. Right. He's looking over at John. Noel. can you make tears? Not yeah. Photoshop thingy. <laughs> Listen, we're on my dime here. The kid ain't crying. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> All right. So I actually agree with you, Barry. I think that is. I think Jake has a lot of great moments in that movie. I, 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 I think I also think Hayden has a lot of good moments in episodes two and three. And there's some moments that are, you know, not so great. But really, I don't know that you can blame and, and this is in, I bowed down at the altar of George Lucas but I don't know that you can necessarily blame uh the actor uh, specifically I mean it is the director that's sitting there saying and making the call whether or not they want to do another take it's also the editor's decision which take to use so I don't know that you can just blame the actor I mean imagine if you're an actor and you knew you blew the first couple of takes and that's one of the ones they use like geez you couldn't come up with something better but I also know that George was experimenting, and Jim, I think we've talked about this before, because I, I, I remember reading articles where George was experimenting with being able to merge various takes. He would have them chop the eyes out of this take and the mouth out of that take, and, and he was just going crazy with the, uh, with the digital uh, editing capabilities for that time. Like a kid in the candy shop. And uh, because, I mean, he was really breaking new ground. A lot of that new technology was first ever incorporated in Star Wars Episode One. Uh, a lot of groundbreaking visual effects technology and filmmaking editing technology was uh, really getting broken, broken in during that that era. So George, I think, was really just trying to see what he can do, how far he can push it. And uh, how he can incorporate his own creativity into the process. Now, a lot of people will say things like, well, that, you know, stripped away the human element of filmmaking and all this. But you know what? I, I think that filmmaking today in the year 2019, 20 years later, is still benefiting greatly from some of the groundbreaking technology that debuted in The Phantom Menace. And uh, it was Lucasfilm leading the whole way. When it comes down to things like non-linear editing, Lucasfilm really sort of kicked down the doors and established that new way of doing things. So um, I can I get it. You know, being someone who uh, does a lot of digital editing myself, I you know I can see where George would really start it start to get his rocks off and try to figure out how far he can push things and that's what he was definitely doing in the uh in the prequel era there's no question about it now how yeah. much is too much well you know that that can that can be debated um but uh i think he was just as i said just so impressed with how the new technology was working well, he didn't want to you know take his foot off the throttle at all but what i think it also did is it also uh, gave him 
in some ways, I think, a false sense of security mm-hmm. in that he wasn't perhaps mm-hmm. all that concerned about the performance he was getting because he had so much faith in his ability to, as, as we joke, you know, fix it and post. Yep. Uh, he may have been a little too bullish on that. Maybe, because we do hear a lot of things where George was saying in the editing process is really where the movie starts coming together for him. That's where he really starts to build his movie when, you know, maybe he should have been taking a little bit more extra care on the actual set itself and working directly with the actors. And, you know, that's probably one of his, his uh, setbacks in his career is the fact that he's not known as an actor's director. He's definitely more of a technician and someone who's more comfortable, not on the soundstage, but in the editing suite. So that's, you know, for better or for worse. But if he didn't have that fixation on technology, I think we'd still be waiting around for a lot of the things he's created, you know, and introduced into the industry over all these years. A lot of people like to point the finger at George Lucas and say he's selfish and greedy. And I I dispute that all the time because he took a lot of his fortune and put it back into the industry, reinvested his money into the filmmaking industry to create all these great technologies that have benefited films for the last 40 years, really, going all the way back to the original Star Wars. If you ask George about it, he'll say, well, the only reason I did it is because uh, basically I'm lazy and I just want to find the easiest way to do things. And right. while you know, while that is a great motivator and stuff, I think he's really downplaying the fact that he's truly been a pioneer and someone who has changed the industry for the better. You know, for the better. And, of course, all technology can be misused and abused and not even really understood how to be used properly. And I think George in that period was sort of trying to figure all that out because he was the first guy. Those were all his toys. And he was the first guy to be able to really play with all that stuff. So I credit George Lucas for a lot for what he's done for the the film industry on a whole. Yeah, there's there's no question from the technology standpoint, all the way to all the the, the money that he's invested into uh, the film school at uh, University of Southern California, um, and investing you know investing in the actual you know future filmmakers uh, over the years as well in their educations, and I, I don't think that it can be overstated uh, the impact that he has had. Um, but let's but not forget crying. crying yes, so. I was going to say, this all comes back to crying. <laughs> let's um, not forget that. <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate Casey saying, you know, that, that you know, he, he's, he's had all these moments. And um, I, in general, generally speaking, I don't cry at I don't cry at much. And I'm not saying that in a macho way or, or, or in any kind of faux macho way i i just i just don't it doesn't come natural to me now my wife on the other hand is someone who crying is how she expresses almost every emotion (laughs) right when she's really happy she cries when she's really angry she cries when she's really sad she cries every every Yes, he's crying. He's crying. She's crying, and 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 the kids are like, "Why are you, what, mom? Why are you crying?" We know when you're a little kid and you see one of your parents crying, like oh. it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Like you think the world's coming to an end. Right, right. And so they, yeah, yeah, well, just I should be used. crying too if they're crying. 
I should be crying. <laughs> exactly. So they've gotten used to the fact that, you know, yeah, I mean, if there's a sentimental commercial, it comes on, you know, Folgers, you know, when the, when the, when the college guy comes back and, you know, his little sister answers the door and, you know, the best part of it, you know, there's the Deb. She's going to be crying. Man. Mom starts crying. She does. You know I, what makes you, okay, here's a good one. Mm-hmm. Something that makes a significant member of my household uh, weep all the time, I mean, almost mm-hmm. consistently, is, uh, you know when the Goldbergs, when in the last five minutes of every episode, it gets super sentimental, and it's like, oh, yeah. You know, that's when I realized that uh, my parents really do love me, and you know, it's all this stuff. <laughs> Wendy starts crying like a baby at the end of every oh. Goldbergs. <laughs> When it, when it all kind of you know, wraps up. But when it comes to Star Wars, now, I'm glad Barry brought up Anakin leaving his mm-hmm. mother during the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace in mm-hmm. that moment. Because, mm-hmm. as I've said many times on the show, when Phantom Menace opened in theaters, that was four days before I became a father. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at a lot of the things that happened in that film through a dad's eyes, through a parent's eyes, you know, being super connected to your your kid. And this is before I've even started the journey and stuff. So I think I was feeling a little emotional, too, at that moment when Anakin left his mom. I also remember another moment was when Anakin was triumphant and he got the pod racer to start running. And he goes, it's working, it's working. And they cut away to his mom, and she's looking proudly at him, and then he's all triumphant. And I was just like, oh, my God, I, I felt emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, but you, did, you stopped short at crying, right? I, I, did, I never cried. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mentioned this one another time on the show. In the era post-Return of the Jedi, when Tim Zahn was releasing the Heir to the Empire novels, the Thrawn trilogy... When I finished reading each one of those books, they came out once a year starting in 1991. I would read the novel, and then I would watch the trilogy. And at that last scene, every year, when they would show Luke looking, and he would see the Jedi spirits, and then they show the shot of all the heroes together. Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, R2, 3PO, and Lando. And they were all sitting there kind of celebrating as the Ewoks were partying around them. And it's just that great triumphant moment in the original cut of the film. And I would see that, all the heroes together like that, and really feel a connection to the characters. Like, these aren't just fictional characters in my life. These are, honest to God, legitimate friends of mine. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's it. That's it. That's their final triumphant moment there. So that revelation at the end of those films would always kind of strike me at a moment. And I, I would remember sitting there as the music would be playing over the credits, just feeling like, hmm, you know, those are those are friends now, and they're they're gone. They're not around anymore. They're not, you know, yeah. George certainly wasn't making Star Wars movies about Han, Luke, and Leia. And so that's why when you get around to The Force Awakens, for me, it's super bittersweet that you couldn't have those characters reunite in the sequel trilogy at some point. And now we just see, you know, who knows what's going to happen in episode nine. As I said, expect the unexpected. So we may actually finally get to see that reunion in some way happen on the screen, but I don't know. I don't know if that ship has already sailed for me on an emotional level where it would have the impact on that level now. 
Because really? I just feel, yeah. well, I almost feel like the ship has kind of sailed on that one. I think huh. it should have happened in episode seven, but it didn't. And so you know, you you you, you have to um, evaluate the Star Wars that is not the Star Wars that you want it to be. But I mean, I just feel like carrying those emotions with me as an original trilogy fan as someone who would try to reconnect with those characters on an annual basis by watching those films again and then having that emotion when i see the characters for the last time together on endor yeah it leaves a hole in my heart knowing that there was an opportunity to reunite those characters again and the ship has sailed away you know it's not going to happen you know i i have a a big display here just to my right of my uh, Star Wars Black Series 6-inch collection. And I have uh, one shelf that's dedicated to all sequel trilogy figures. And I have clumped together my uh, Force Awakens, Leia, Han, and and Luke uh, together. And just the way the, the, the and, and I've got Chewie back there as well. And 3PO and R2. So they're, they're, they're all there. And the way I have them clumped, it, it kind of looks a little bit like sort of the, the, the finale of Return of the Jedi, yeah. the, the positions that they're standing. And every once in a while, I'll look at that and I'll be like, God, why didn't that happen? <laughs> I know. I mean, why didn't that happen? It was all plated right up for them. They were all signed. They were all doing it. They were all alive. They were all freaking alive. And you just you couldn't come up with a way to make that work. What is wrong with you? And also, right. well, you know, something else. All right, I, I'm calm down. Calm down. Okay, calm. calm down. Something I've been considering, too, is a lot of people jump to the conclusion that the only way you're going to get Harrison Ford to return as Han Solo is by killing him off in that first movie. Where I've never, re- I've never heard Harrison Ford say anything like that. The only thing I've ever heard Harrison Ford say about returning to be Han Solo is like, well, you know, at my age, I'm just happy to be working. You know, and <laughs> right, and yeah. I look at some of the movies that he'd signed on to, like what was that science fiction movie he did right before The Force Awakens? Oh, Cowboys! Oh, the one with Daniel Craig. Cowboys yeah, and yeah, Aliens. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good one. Or there was another one though. It was like a spinoff of a a book or a video game. Endors, Enders, Enders, game. Enders, not Endor, Endors game, Enders game. Okay, that seemed like mm-hmm. kind of schlocky sci-fi stuff to me, and so I'm like, well. Would Harrison Ford really relish playing that role as opposed to Han Solo for the next three movies in the Star Wars sequel trilogy? I think Harrison Ford would have signed on for all three if they had the balls to ask him. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. may have. They may have. You know, We don't have a making of the Force Awakens book to reference and see all this stuff. They're keeping all that behind curtains. And that's uncommon for Star Wars. We're typically... The fans do get kind of intimately involved in the whole process from concept to shooting to release. And we're kind of left with a void as far as The Force Awakens goes about the behind the scenes stuff. Now, we only know all the stuff we saw out in public, and it was like Harrison Ford almost killed on the set. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, that, like, that, that, that kind of put a damper on the uh, behind the scenes. Uh, Michael Arndt that might have happened. Yeah, Michael right. Arndt and George uh-huh. Lucas's contributions denied. Yeah. I would love to hear the evolution of all that, but yeah. I think that's going to be a, a, a mystery for us for at least a, a while. I think the wounds are a little too fresh on a lot yes. of that stuff. Yes, and and also you know it's uh, yes, it would be interesting to us, but it's. 
it's kind of uh, I, I don't know trade secrets. It's yeah. corporate intrigue. I mean, there's well, there's you know, there's no rule saying that they have to pull back the curtains and let us see how the sausage is made for everything. Right, right, right. But, right. We've but just that been was kind the of culture of old Lucasfilm. Yeah, there's been right. sort of a conditioning for Star Wars fans and the. the Look, let, let me let's be honest. I, I I'll throw it out. I, I I'm I'm sure our listeners or you Barry or. Jim might prove me wrong, but I just feel like before Star Wars, when did you ever see like full blown documentaries on the making of movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. I mean, no, you might see a little bit, you know, you might see a little bit here and there, but uh, on, on television. Um, but, but I don't remember like full blown documentaries and that were so popular they got released to home video. I mean, that's that's that's. That's groundbreaking stuff. I mean, people weren't all that interested in how movies were made uh, until movies like Star Wars and really, literally Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, boy, we, that, I'm glad for the question uh, from our pal Casey over there at Multiverse Podcast. Uh, so the answer is, Casey, um, you know, hey, man, keep on crying. It's all good. <laughs> oh, no I want to say that I'm not so cold that I don't react emotionally to films and television and things there's there's occasionally things that will actually hit me in a a certain emotional place but usually that has to do with like very real world stories real people going through real life situations and not surrounded by special effects and lightsabers and wookies you know to me having that environment sort of softens the blow on any real emotion i'm gonna feel because because i'm i know that i've been removed from legitimate reality see i can't handle i can't handle animals in danger i'll be honest i mean that that will buy like the incredible journey mm-hmm. um i remember seeing that like a, a, a junior or elementary school you're all in the gym watching people watching, deal with oh, loss watching yeah, people deal right. with loss is always very hard for me watching children in danger is always very yes. hard for me and watching families go mm. through tragic yeah. situations is always hard for me i can't find the entertainment value in it. Like, okay, so Wendy, um, my wife, Wendy Snyder, she is a SAG member. And so we get the screeners about this time of year, every year for all of the nominated films. You know, we get the four-year consideration screeners. It's great. And so we have, you know, mad movie fests here. And she, she pulled out that, that movie with Steve Carell where he has a son that he loves very much who's addicted to hard drugs and opiates and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, let's watch this. I'm like, I, that's going to be too dramatic for me. That's, that's yeah. going to be, it's a, a yeah. family in turmoil, uh, you know, dealing, you know, walking on this tightrope and stuff. And I just can't find escapism or entertainment value in something like that. So I'm at a point now where I will refuse watching even a movie like Toy Frickin' Story 3. I have avoided because so many people told me I will cry during it. You know what? I heard that too, and I watched it, and I was like dreading the ending because of that. Oh, here we go. You know, I'm going to. And, uh, I, and I didn't. I didn't. I thought it was a lovely ending. Oh, okay. But, it, but, it, but I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I don't think, I don't think you're going to cry. Well, I saw the first two so many times because my kids were at a very young age during all of that, and so it was on the TV constantly. Toy Story is one and two I've seen, but I've avoided three because 
A, I didn't want the big cry, and two, because I didn't have to see it. I, you know, my kids are old now, and, and so they're not watching these movies constantly all the time, and so I'm not being exposed to them. But there is part of me that is a Toy Story fan, and I want to go back there and see go, go all back those guys. I want to see, see Buzz Lightyear and Woody and And all they got Andy's a fourth toys. one coming out. Yeah, and they and now they have one. a fourth one coming out. So, yeah, so. just hearing that... Toy Story 3 did not break Jason Swank. <laughs> it did not. Tells did me not. that I should have the fortitude to be able to make it through a single screening of that damn movie. So I will watch it before Toy Story 4 comes out, <laughs> and I will report back to you here on Rebel Were Force Radio. Were there tears? I will, let you know. I will let you know if I had a good cry or not. But with Star yeah. Wars, you know, and now also being so intimately aware of the saga and everything that's going to happen, um, you know, there aren't too many surprises there. So if you put on Revenge of the Sith... I'm not going to have an emotional reaction like that to it. I'll be entertained and I'll be, you know, glued to the set and everything, but I won't, I won't feel that emotion. And I've heard a lot of people say that order 66 has brought out emotion in them too. And for me, it just never did because it was inevitable. It was inevitable. I remember we would hear from Samuel L. Jackson, um, prior to the shooting of episode three and Sam Jackson would say, yeah, I had to say to George Lucas, listen, I know I'm going to die. Just don't make me die like a punk. And, <laughs> and yeah, right, we so knew they all had to die. He knew everyone knew going into episode three that the Jedi were going to be wiped out. Um, I thought it was kind of cool, actually, watching them. Get, maybe that says something bad about me. But Well, you know what? There were, I'll be honest. I, when I watched that, and Barry, I'll be interested in what your what your thoughts are on this. Okay. But uh, when I watch it, I watch I watch uh, the beautiful Amy Allen uh, <laughs> doing a really awkward fall. Yeah, that is kind and of awkward. it's it's almost it's almost comical. Yeah, uh, the, the Kiati Mundi is a little is a little awkward as well. What's up with that saber style of his? It looks like he's playing tennis or something. Yeah, <laughs> he he's does. got the, he's like swatting. He's not you know. The, the the only one that I think is kind of you know that that I don't know is uh, resonates with me is um, is uh, oh um, in the Starfighter Plo Koon um, yeah Plo Koon because we spent so much time with him on the Clone Wars now that one I'm like oh man Plo he was great I loved him yeah but that's all in retrospect that's all in retrospect yeah. but. But honestly, the 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 the, the Pratt falls that the two of them take, uh, <laughs> I just can't I can't get over it. And the, and then there's they're standing in there and they're they're shooting her point blank. And there's like not even so much as a razor burn on her body. They're well, just like you know. Well, I know that, but I mean, at least in in Star Wars, uh, you know, the originals, you would see like a little flame shoot out of the trooper's armor or something. But uh, George right was George. Her. He toned that down with the special editions, though. I yes, mean, he did. Yes, he did. They specifically toned that stuff down. But with Amy, she does that flail. <laughs> yeah, Ayla uh, uh, Sakura when she gets blasted, and that little flail is. Uh, yeah, you might want to have done another take on that one. It doesn't come off as too convincing. And then she falls yeah. down on the cushion in front of the blue screen, and it's <laughs> it's almost yeah, like it's you can see it all, you know, right in front of you. Yeah, but, it didn't do yeah. anything for me, I think, because, like you were saying, the Clone Wars wasn't out yet, so I didn't really care about these characters all that much. Yeah. And I, I knew it was inevitable that they were going to die, and to me, they were just goofy aliens getting shot. Um, 
And to be honest, like for me, I was like, wow, look at all the cool planets. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because I spent a little more time there. Yeah. Episode three was the end of the saga as we knew it. And so there were so many like it was like the last bow of the galaxy. And so, you know, you, you would see all these planets for the first and last time. And it was so cool. So I was like, oh, look at those those mushrooms, those giant mushrooms. And then she'd be getting yes. killed. Um, yeah. Like, oh, so, what, what happened? Did someone die? Yeah. Oh, exactly. there she is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's almost like, I don't know. There's something about it. That reminds me like Jan Brady. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, but but looking back after watching the Clone Wars and seeing these these deaths, it's almost kind of like um, I've been rewatching the Sopranos, and you have these really well known characters, and then they just get killed. Like it's just like a quick shot to the head, and you're like, well, they're gone. Um, and yeah. it, that's kind of how it feels because I'm like, I feel like Kit Fisto deserved so much more, and he just gets skewered real quick. Mm. But that's in retrospect yeah. again. Yeah, Kit Fisto, he does. Um, well, that whole scene, you know, that, the the, uh, the takedown of those uh, four Jedi. It's four, right? It's Mace and then the other three, or is it three? It's oh, it's uh, it's Mace, it's Kit, Kit Fisto, Fisto, and it's Sacy Tin. Sacy Tin. What? Well, yeah, Wait, Sacy anyone bites out? It. I feel like we're leaving someone out. It's been a while. No, I, I feel like there might the three be three of them walking. It is just the three. Oh, no. A- Agent Kolar is there, too, isn't he? There we go. There he is. Yeah, because so he wipes out Stacey Tin like real fast. Yeah. He does that. <laughs> he spins and uh, he, do- he does that move. And uh, Stacey Tin goes down real fast, uh, like like immediately. Mm-hmm. And then Agent Kolar and, and then um, um, the Jamaican guy. Um, um, Kit Fisto. Kit he's, Fisto, he's right. Yeah, Jamaican. Kit Fisto. Those aren't dreadlocks. <laughs> oh, yes, they are. They're totally dreadlocks. Yeah, man. That's what, yeah, he's totally... Uh, well, I, you know, I see why you would say that, though, because they did give him that 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 accent in the Clone Wars. Yeah, in Clone Wars, Wars yeah. Uh, when, I, look, I'm at the point where I can't even remember yeah. hardly thinking about those characters outside of the Clone Wars. Uh, the Clone Wars is just, it's completely... It's it's irrevocably changed the way I even recall the prequel films, and that's a good and thing. I think that's a testament to how great they are. Yeah. I mean, and how great the, the the this Clone Wars was, as opposed to just like being sort of a spinoff. It really did yeah. do a lot to expand the mythology of the prequels and and yeah. and help those characters grow, but not it grow enough to where out. I'm yeah. not grow enough to where I'm like sobbing like a crybaby when they get gunned <laughs> down. But hey, right. that's no and also our caller, um Casey. Casey God bless him. You know, that's yeah. I want everyone to have an emotional res, you know, response to Star Wars like Casey does. I, I just wish I could. But like I said, it's that's not the thing that strikes emotion with me. I'm always like Star Wars is my place. You know, that's my comfort zone. Uh, real dramas featuring real people going through real life situations. Those will strike me and and bring out more of an emotional response in me. But if it, if if Star Wars brings out an emotional sp- response like you like that, I mean that there's nothing wrong with that in my book. No, go for it. Go yeah. for it. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, well as Jim mentioned at the top of the show, uh, there are many reasons that we have our pal Barry Harmon on the show uh, this week, but one of them is to shed some light. And uh, Barry, Barry is a uh, is is a is a uh, w- very very learned guy when it comes to the world of video games, and hopefully 
Uh, Barry, you can give us a sense of what might be going on behind the scenes with respect to the Star Wars game license and electronic arts. Uh, we haven't really seen anything since uh, uh, Battlefront, mm-hmm. uh, the, the latest version of Battlefront, Battlefront 2, That's right? right? Yep. And, it, and gosh, that came out, what, four years ago now, maybe? Battlefront 2 came out, I think, last year, but... Uh, yeah, but before that, it was just... It was only a year ago? I feel like that's that's how long ago it was. Yeah, okay. It, right, it was not it was. that long. But to be honest, Battlefront 1 and 2, I don't think they differentiate enough, so they do kind of run together. It almost feels like you're getting an upgrade to the original yes. Battlefront. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that might be where the the confusion is. But mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's odd for a franchise and a license like uh, Star Wars to not have a, you know, a, a long... Um, uh, you know, calendar of of uh, uh, games on the uh, on the you know coming out. I mean, there was no, there was nothing tied to uh, Force Awakens or or uh, the Last Jedi. I mean, there was some downloadable content in the respective uh, uh, Battlefront games, but you've got these big films coming out. And I know that th- um, film adaptations, mm-hmm. uh, as far as games, that's that's sort of not really the thing anymore because they don't really do all that well, right. from what I understand. Um, so what's going on? Uh, set this up for us. You got Electronic Arts. They've now canceled two different uh, titles. Mm-hmm. Now, not the real titles haven't been announced, but they're sort of their. Um, there, there was a title called Ragtag, which was these were all sort of the secret titles, right? These were the code names that they were using. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I guess we should look first back at the original announcement where they said, you know, EA is very excited to be partnering with Disney and Lucasfilm to release, you know, these games. They an- I, I don't remember exactly what games they announced at the time, but they definitely were mm-hmm. saying what studios were working on it. And it was really exciting. Now, um, I've been following video games and video game news since probably the mid-90s, and EA has never really had... How can I say this? Like, they've never really had a positive... Uh, <laughs> like people who follow video games, EA is kind of a, a evil corporation, mm. and mm. I know that sounds silly because I think every corporation, at its core, you know, they're just out for the profits and they're out for you know they, mm-hmm. they they're not there to be your friend. However, I I still feel like you know like a company like Disney, they they still once you're sitting down and either enjoying the product or enjoying the game, you get to you know immerse yourself in it and forget that this is something created inevitably to. Cr- to make money and with the ea games they more often than not they'll they'll remind you that they want some of your money and so (laughs) with these with these uh most recent with um the battlefront 2 you know we had that big uh kerfuffle with the um the the loot boxes and that Mm -hmm. was gambling for kids and thankfully disney shut that down very quick but they are always looking for a way to make now for those a for those buck. that don't know. I mean, we, yeah. we've we Rebel Force Radio listeners they they come in all different uh, types, and right. there are some that are really into the games, and and some that aren't. Go back to this controversy with Battlefront, and you, you called it almost like gambling for kids. What I understand of that was that it it, would, it allowed the users to to purchase um, abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having to earn them over a period of time, that's right. And 
and that and that for gamers that was like that's not cool like you should have to earn your stripes of course yeah and and they'd argue that you can earn these in game however people would do the math and they're like it's going to take me uh you know like a week to get this character whereas i could get the crate that might have the uh i I forgot how their system worked because they changed it but like you'd get like tokens or you'd get like Mm -hmm. a, a certain amount and then you'd unlock them and this is nothing new to the video game industry. It's nothing new to EA. But I think EA, they are always looking for a way to work it into their games. And unfortunately for Star Wars, I don't think it's that franchise that, at least unfortunately for them, it's not that franchise that does that. Look back at pre-EA stuff. We had, it's very story-based and it's very one-player oriented and it's very hard to make money off of people outside of DLC missions. I know that... Um, what was the one with Starkiller in it? Uh, uh, Force, Force Unleashed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they would have additional content where it's like fight um, on Hoth, you know, something like that. But it would either be a new edition releasing and it would be, you know, you throw them five bucks or something and you get a new experience. That's it's, – it's common. There's nothing too wrong there. But with this EA thing, I just – I think they – um, and, you know, I'm sh- we'll get into the story proper more with what they've been doing with these canceled games. But I don't think any of the games that they were working on followed this money-making idea that they had. They weren't multiplayers. They couldn't push on uh, these these buy-to-win sort of scenarios. Um, but the big change-up was that the people who made this licensing deal with... Disney and Lucasfilm, they don't work there anymore. Um, I don't know their names off the top of my head, but one worked mm. uh, primarily in, in, you know, getting licenses like this. And they were, like, you know, you, you guys always talk about these these stories of, like, how Marvel first got the Lucasfilm uh, or the, the Star Wars license or how Kenner did. And it's always the same story. It's like, we didn't think much of it, and then it just yeah. paid off for us. But it's the reverse with this. They're like, we're going to make so much money with this Star Wars license. And then this new guy, um, you know, he takes it on his shoulders. And I, I believe he's the CEO. Um, and he just does not see the the reason to put so much energy into a licensed game when EA themselves has so many games that they could make the entirety of the money off of. You know, they don't have to deal with Lucasfilm. Um, and I think that's the the problem. That's the curse and the reason and the, and the positive reason why they went with EA because EA has the the studios and the money to make big epic Star Wars games, but they don't have the drive and the motivation to crank them out like they could be doing because they know that they're going to have to work with Lucasfilm. They're going to have to get approvals and they're going to have to share the money with them. And so I really think they're doing the bare minimum right now. And I'm. Um, I'm a huge Simpsons fan. EA has the Simpsons license. When they first got that, they released a big um, single-player game. It was a lot of fun and a mobile game. And in those 10-plus years since, they've only updated the mobile game. There hasn't been any Simpsons games outside of that. Uh-huh. So they, they, they sit on these licenses. They kind of squat on them. They, they do something big um at the beginning and then they realize that wow this is a lot of work because we're dealing with these licensed characters and they're the intellectual property of uh other people and 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 carry a lot of weight and have a lot Mm -hmm. of brand equity and it's like oh man it's a lot more fun just to create our own thing and a lot easier and a lot more fun to create our own thing where we're not really accountable to anyone else of course. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the games, so um, I have my cheat sheet here. So yeah. they canceled EA Vancouver's open-world Star Wars game. 
which yes. mm-hmm. would have been, I think, amazing, but also very expensive. What do you mean open world? Is that like a Minecraft sort of thing <laughs> where you just run around and... You know, kind of, but open world would more be like you are dropped into this role. I think it was going to be a bounty hunter, and you just go off. There's no real... You don't have to go to a certain place. You could go steal a speeder, mm. ride around the planet, you know, go off a ledge and you know, come back again at the top of it um, and maybe just lose some items. You could, you could get on a ship, go to another planet and actually start doing some missions. It's really um, – you know, it's, it is what it is. It's open world sandbox gameplay. It's a lot of fun but I don't think it works for Star Wars which is why I was really excited for the other game they were talking about which was a um, Uncharted sort of um, game and Uncharted is much more story and narrative driven. Um, they will show you an elaborate cutscene, and then the cutscene will continue, but you're still controlling the character, so you can walk alongside the person while they're delivering dialogue. All of a sudden, they'll be like, oh, what's that? An explosion will go off. You pull out your gun and start shooting. They'll say, go over to the bell tower. You'll climb up to the bell tower, and the bell will fall. You know, it's something like that. And hmm. you feel like you're in control, but the entire time, they they are controlling you. They're just pushing you along the story path. And it's a lot of fun. And I really think that's what Star Wars should have done. And I think that's what 1313 was going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's what the game that they were talking about that was canceled was going to be. I know you're going to, are you going to play some clips from uh, Gary Widow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I think we got something right mm-hmm. here. We got some sound bites. Uh, what are we going to hear here, Jim? Well, I'll tell you um, what. Gary is. Uh, he, he has some very strong opinions about the way electronic arts has been mismanaging the Star Wars brand. And so he appeared on a YouTube show called Kind of Funny Games and spent a considerable amount of time sort of breaking down the EA situation. And he has some strong suggestions on how to fix things. If I were the head of Disney, I don't know what is in the contract language, but if there was a get-out clause or, a, or some kind of pull-the-plug thing where halfway through the deal, if you're not satisfied, you can just take the license away, I would take the license away from EA because it's been, it's been catastrophically mismanaged. And it's an embarrassment. And Star Wars is the crown jewel, the crown jewel of video game li- franchise licenses. And EA have squandered it to, a, 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 I, I, would, I would say, a... A negligent degree. Like, if I was an EA shareholder, yeah. I'd be f- furious at the way that the, the, the way that they must have paid a fortune for this 10-year license. If I were Bob Iger or whoever makes these deals at Disney at this level, and I was about to sign a 10-year deal with Disney, and I had a crystal ball and I was able to see halfway through the deal what I would have got oh my for God. my investment, what EA would have delivered in the first five years of that, that 10-year deal, there's no way I would have signed the deal. Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, let me ask you a question, Barry. Do you think it's possible that EA is sitting on the license just so no one else can have it? Or, I mean, do they have an exclusivity deal when it comes to Star Wars video it's, games? They it's do. It's a 10 year deal. Um, it runs out in, tw- what, what is it, 2023, I believe. Mm-hmm. And am I thinking that right? Uh, well, probably when you consider the sale of, uh, I right, think they, yeah, they yeah. broke up Lucas Arts at around 2013, 2014, right, yeah, somewhere yeah. in so that era. So. 23, 24, but you got to imagine they can't start work on a new game around then, so it's going to start winding down. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it's. I think initially it came on and they were going to release all these great games, and then the deal changed. 
Um, and, uh, and since then, I think they are kind of sitting on the license, releasing what they think is making them the most money. And they're just not, they don't want to take any hits. And I don't think they want to take any risks, even though, you know, like, like Gary Widow was saying, like people want the Star Wars license. It's a great thing, but. I, I think with EA, they make enough money off of their own brands that it's like, why are we going to take a gamble with something that we're not going to make all our money on? Now, I, I follow Sega News, and the big thing with Sega for a while was that they had the Alien license. And the great thing was is that Sega is not an EA. They don't they're, – they're big, but they're not that big um, in the software publishing. And so when they got the license, I think they really knew that they needed to produce – a lot of games and quality games. There are a few stinkers <laughs> that they did release, but Alien Isolation is probably one of the most beloved games of the year it was released, just uh, I think about three years ago. And it, it had a budget, not a huge budget, but it had a lot of creativity and love for the franchise put into it. And I think you could do that with Star Wars, and I think that's what they're going to be doing with this um, Jedi Fallen Order. I think it's going to not be a huge, big-budget title, but it's hopefully going to scratch that itch for a lot of fans who wanted a narrative-driven game. A game with a story in it. That's right, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Gary Witta, he did mention in that interview a few times uh, that uh, that's what Star Wars needs is a story-driven video game. And he seems very firm on that notion. But in this next clip, you're going to hear him reveal that you know, making Star Wars video games isn't, like, the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not easy to make Star Wars games. It's, not, it's certainly not easy to make good ones. There are, if you look at the, if you were to do a complete retrospective of every Star Wars video game ever made, there are far more bad ones than good sure. ones. There's a handful of really good ones and many, 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 many bad ones. So it's not easy to make Star Wars, especially not in this era where now everything has to be canonically kind of joined up back sure. in the days of the old expanded universe you could go off and do whatever you wanted and lucas uh, lucasfilm would still lucas licensing as it was back then would still have say over it and say this isn't good enough or canonically you need to do this or that and they would sure. still keep it straight but nowadays in the age of everything have to be the, the games and the books and the comics and the films and the tv series all have to canonically kind of sync up it's even harder to make these games, Lucas, Lucasfilm are keeping a much closer eye on it than they used to back in the back in the LucasArts days, I think. And so there's a lot of pressure. You got pressure from Disney, you got pressure from EA, you got pressure from Lucasfilm, you got pressure from the from the players, from the user base. It's tough, and so oh, yeah. I, I do sympathise. It's not easy to make these games, but EA is a, is is probably if not one of, if not the number one, one of the top three game companies in the world. If anyone should be able to do it. They should be able to do it. The track record so far is pathetic. Well, and they th must do better. Oh, sorry, Gary. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, what is the, Barry, what is the, the track record exactly? We know that since they've assumed the license, we've gotten the two Battlefront games, mm -hmm. which is sort of the, the reboot of the older Battlefront games that, That's right. that came out. Um, what else has uh, EA put out for us? That's it. That's it. So it's those two games, and and let's be fair, those are remarkably successful games. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, the the thing you could argue in favor of EA is that as the industry changes and how there's more technology, it takes longer to make these big budget games. You know, we're not in the days anymore where we're going to see the Episode 3 game, we're going to see Force Unleashed, Force Unleashed 2, a fighting game, a racer. Like, that's not happening anymore just because of the time and money spent. The thing is, though, that EA has the manpower and the money and the studios. And so, as we saw, they had multiple studios working on games that they just canceled and shifted around. And um, any of the other Star Wars games you've seen, I believe the mobile stuff it operates separately. So, um, and the and the Lego stuff operates separately. Absolutely, as well, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. Lego's a completely different thing. And um, yeah, and so it's just it's it's been disappointing that we are over halfway through now, and. Um, We've only gotten two games, and like Gary was talking about in the interview, he does mention you know that the first one wasn't even story-driven. The second one was. Um, yeah. I did think it was interesting. I don't know if you're going to play the clip, but he talks about how they hired the a, a creative director um, from Uncharted, but then when they took a look at the game, they said, we don't want a Star Wars Uncharted. And he says, well, why did you hire the creative director from Uncharted? <laughs> and it reminded yeah. me of Rogue One, which he knows full well, where yeah. they hired Gareth Edwards. And then they said, oh, we don't want a war movie. And it's like, well, then why would you tell him to make a war movie? What? Seems pretty wishy-washy to me. Yeah. Now, now, where are these decisions coming from? Are they coming from EA or are they coming from Lucasfilm? Um, well, I know that they they run a lot of things past Lucasfilm. I think the cancellations are EA, but I think... But I think maybe it's brought on by EA feeling frustrated with having to work with Lucasfilm, who is very strict, especially now because, you know, it, it used to be, um, I'm trying to think, some of the early Star Wars games, you'd unlock some character who's not even supposed to be in that era and play, and play as them. It doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. nowadays they're like, oh, he, he died in the comics. You can't put him in there. Ooh, that seems rather handcuffing, <laughs> you know, when it comes to uh, creating video games yeah. when you have to, you know. You have to uh, turn left. And, and meanwhile, time. these guys, I mean, I hate to bring up Lego again, but I, I, I mean, the Force Awakens Lego game, my son and I, we play that and we still play it and we, we've beat it, both of us. And, and we, we've just we had so much fun playing that game because it's kind of like anything goes. You know, you unlock these characters all of a sudden. It's like when we were playing um, the um, uh, the the Disney, the, the toy box game. What was that called? The uh, Infinity. Disney Infinities. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're, you're, you're Darth Maul and you're running around on Hoth, you know, or it, it's it's. That that is fun, and I and, and I'll be honest, I I'm a bit of a canon cop. I mean, one of the things I didn't love about the EU uh, for the longest time was I thought it just you know ran amok and it wasn't accountable to anyone, and it was just like just tons and tons of content, and there was really nobody kind of uh, reviewing this stuff. I didn't feel like. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, that, that's, that's books, right? That's a big fat. I was trying to make the case that, you know, when a big fat uh, hardback novel comes out, it better be significant and it better further the mythology and it better tie into everything. Um, but, but the video games, I just think, are completely different. There is something of a, of a choose-your-own-adventure, uh, anything-goes uh, I don't sit there and and look at a video game and think that this thing has to be canon. Right. And on the other on the other hand, too, I mean, uh, you know, look, you're not the first one, and EA's not the first one uh, to say that it, it Lucasfilm is uh, uh, not quite so easy to deal with these days. 
You know, we'll, we'll kind of put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard this from a number of sources and people that we've talked to, that it's a much, much different culture there at the company. And uh, I, I, don't, I won't even say that this is Disney culture because um, I, my, my experience is that Disney has a much different culture. But, but Lucasfilm these days, they're, they're not winning any, any awards for being super fun to collaborate with. Right. So part of me is like, man, maybe EA is just like, you know what? <laughs> let's, just, let's just take a knee and ride this out. Yeah, that's what I think is happening because they did, after all, hire the director from Uncharted Amy Henning to come and oversee that game that mm-hmm. was supposed to be the Star Wars version of Uncharted. Right. The, so they had the right person in the right place. And I, I think the collaboration process with Lucasfilm must have sidelined the whole operation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I think is interesting about the the games, especially the recent ones, and you look at the uh, the TV shows and, and a lot of the books, they have a lot of nobodies. I mean, no offense to um, you know the the Ghost Squadron or the the, the mm-hmm. Aces, but um, mm-hmm. we're not getting games starring Luke Skywalker. We're mm-hmm. not getting Han Solo. The the closest we get is Battlefront, and with that, it's like you need to get online. You need to wait your turn to play as Darth Maul. You know, you might get him, you might not, and it's just I I I wonder if. The reasoning for these games, you know, you look at some of the leaks and descriptions of these canceled titles, the fact that they don't star any known characters and sometimes they'll just create a new planet. I'm wondering if that's their way around Lucasfilm so that they're like, oh, it's on uh, planet Bolifar and you play (laughs) Blastus Bannerfin, you know, it's like, it's like, well, who is that guy? And it's like, well, he's someone who's not going to step on the toes of your comics or your TV shows. That's who he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or he's going to be the star of the uh, the next Star Wars feature film. <laughs> right. It's going to be coming out here after they wrap up the Skywalker saga. Yeah, right. You know what? I, I hate the fact that that Masters of Terrace Kazi game gets such a, a bad rap because my, my friends and I, we played that for days. Oh, did you? That was, oh my God, that was so much fun. It's like, uh, you know, I'm going to be a Gamorrean guard and you be Obi-Wan Kenobi and let's just go beat the hell out of each other. Wasn't there, that the, was, they, that there was, was a, a unique character. Her name was Arden Lynn, I think. Mm. And she had a big, like a big metal arm, like the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I mean, right. it was just crazy mm. times that game. But, you know, hey, it tears Kasi, it's it's. It's making a little bit of a comeback as, as far as the respect sphere goes because it was referenced in Solo. Whoa. I have never seen anyone do. What was that? Terrace Kasi. Dryden taught me. So you can thank uh, you can thank John Kasdan for that one for pulling that one out and and I like that stuff when they you know that's a nice little Easter egg they put in it solo is. Mm-hmm. it is so I mean I never played the game but I remember when it was released I don't like those fighting games those one on one fighting oh games. I love those I, I don't uh, think there's anything fun. wrong with it but uh, I just you know they just I don't get off on those things and, <laughs> okay. and so you know well Barry I, I want to so okay. Let's 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 kind of separate this from from Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucasfilm, we know that when um, when uh, when Disney took over, uh, the the license for the comic book went from uh, Dark Horse over to Marvel. That's right. It's a Disney. It's another Disney company. What have the other uh, 
Disney properties? What, what homes have they found themselves in, in as far as video games? And, and what do you see coming for the future of Star Wars video games once they get over this, this EA slump? Are they going to bring it in-house? What, mm. what's, what's the state of Disney Star or Disney video games? Well, in terms of like other brands owned by Disney is what you're talking about, correct? Right. So mm-hmm. um, the Marvel stuff, um, and I believe uh, Witta talked about this a little bit, is is that it's it's just whoever wants it approaches them and then they do it on a game by game basis. I think they do have an idea of what's stepping on other ones' toes, so they're not going to release two puzzle games on the phone for two different companies. But mm. they're a little more open about that. And and to be quite honest, I think that would be the best route to go is to spread the Star Wars love around. And, you know, we can get those big games and we can get those little games and we don't have to rely on one studio um, sitting on the license. And um, it's kind of funny you, you mentioned their other brands. Before Disney bought Marvel, Sega had the Marvel license and they did they did something strange. They basically released as many Marvel games as they could, but they used external developers and went on the cheap. And so Marvel mm. games actually had a very low reputation. There was about boy eight or nine of them, um, and the only good one was like Thor for the Wii, you know. And um, and it was just it, it, but it was at that time when licensed video game movies were just known to be bad. So people were like, "Well, here comes the bad the bad Iron Man game," mm-hmm. and it's just to be expected. Um, and I I just I feel like. Star Wars could do so much better and I think if they followed what Marvel's doing right now that would be big outside of that Disney hasn't done anything with their um, outside of you know we saw Infinity come and go and I'm trying to think yeah they they really haven't done much with their other brands we're not seeing Mickey Mouse video games um, the Muppets video games you know we're not seeing those so (laughs) (laughs) well you know they don't know I don't get me started on 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 the Muppets uh, and that you know right right the mishandling of that of that franchise. Why haven't well, I was really surprised that we did not see an episode eight Lego game? Mm. To, to be honest, I, I I thought that those Lego games have been very successful as far as I know, yeah, and really well received and uh, a lot of fun. But it just all of a sudden it just kind of dried up. The problem was was they were going to release. A Lego game for Episode Eight, but you just couldn't simply unlock the Luke Skywalker character, no matter what you did. You just couldn't <laughs> unlock that character and pull him into action. You punch in the codes they gave you; that didn't work. You tried to uh, nothing you could do would get Luke Skywalker into the battle. That, so they right. had that was the whole game. Yeah, just yeah. trying to convince him to be a playable character. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're Luke. I want to play with you. No, I'm done building, kid. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I lost the instructions. You'll never understand. <laughs> I burned them. I I'm going to burn it all. <laughs> you can't build anything. Oh, my God. So let's look back at the history of Star Wars video games real quick. Yeah. I would like to get your top three all time. Top Star three Wars all games. time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, I'm going to do some deep, not deep cuts, but I'm going to jump back to, oh, man, what I love the TIE Fighter and X-Wing games. Oh, classic. Thought classic. those were fantastic. Now, you played those on the PC back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, the uh, uh, Dark Forces. Yes, love Dark Honestly, Forces. I put Dark Forces at number one. I do, too. I do, too. And even though it's a game from 20-something years ago, and it does look a little dated, mm-hmm. you, but the, the, the level of play yeah. and the expansiveness of that game, 
and the challenges. It was it, that was what a great game. That was really my first I deep dive into Star Wars video games. Was that that places. was the game that uh, Dave Prowse came back right? No, 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 no. And no. Shot some. No, no I, it's the story about Kyle Katarn. That's right. And he steals the plans to the Death <laughs> oh, Star within yes, the first yes, level. In the first level, right. yeah. and then the rest of the game is about him trying to blow open this. A dark trooper program that mm-hmm. the Empire has commissioned. Yep. Yeah, so I, I would say number one, that one just for a nostalgia reason. It's a great game. You go back and play it still. It's yeah. fantastic. And the story is good too. So it yeah. fits in there and it's got some fun cut scenes that look like, you know, really terrible animation, but still in its time, mm-hmm. that game was revolutionary. Um, I think the Nintendo 64 one, I'm trying to remember what it was, Rogue Squadron? Oh, that was a good one, where you flew the X-Wings yeah. around. And, wow, was that a great game. As, yes. as the Sega boy, my friends who had Nintendo, I was so jealous because I did not get Star Wars games for years because, for whatever reason, Nintendo got them all. Um, so that one's fantastic. And I'd also say the arcade version of uh, Episode One, the pod racing game. Oh, that's a great one. Yep. Yeah. And, of course, they have that at the Galloping Ghost Arcade in Brookfield, Illinois, on Ogden Avenue. That's right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and when we were there last week, we never got our chance to sit down and play that. That's always the way. People were hogging it up. Yeah, right. Six kids were sitting on it. Yeah. <laughs> Beating on the machine. But, you know, you notice those, those three I picked, mm-hmm. and um, that first one, it was, you know, it was fun, it was easy to pick them and play, and it was story-driven. I mean, you, you didn't sit through a lot of cutscenes, but it was interesting. You know, you had the Dark Troopers. And um, the the Rogue Squadron one, really it was just putting you in the action yeah. and playing, I believe, main characters. So, you know, that was exciting. And then that third one, again, you're playing main characters and you're right there in the action. So I, I think with VR, they could do some pretty cool stuff. Um, so maybe they could open that up more, do some home VR games. Have you ever gone into a Dave and Buster's and played the Battle Pod? Yes. Yes. I told you how um, the, the week Carrie Fisher passed away, I played oh, the, right. the mission where you're supposed to protect Carrie Fisher, or I mean Princess Leia, and she I kept losing. And I would hear the voice actress for her doing these screams, and it was just... <laughs> it scarred me. Oh, no. And that... Oh. Protect, that, protect the princess. No, <laughs> you, know. you failed. I, I. Uh, by the way, I was referring to uh, Star Wars Rebel Assault Two: The Hidden Empire, which mm-hmm. I just reminded myself that actually Dave Prowse was not uh, playing yeah. Darth Vader in that. That there, there was talk of it. There was rumors or what have You're you. thinking of but the VCR. There was a VCR yes, board the, game. There was an interactive video board game and that had uh, Dave Prowse and James Earl Jones both yeah. reprising their role. I think you could see Vader. footage of that on YouTube. I wow. think someone ripped that on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, I need I, to go back and watch it. It's been a long time. That was the only reason I bought that stupid game. Oh, sure. Yeah. you want. And As a matter of fact, I think the original trilogy uh, director of cinema photography was also on board with that. I, his name escapes me right now, but uh, you know the guy who actually was there shooting the uh, the scenes in the Death Star corridor with the original Darth Vader and the original films was brought back for that. I, I, there was a great article from Star Wars Insider mm-hmm. I remember reading back mm-hmm. in the day, but twenty years ago, I'm, I'm not. You know, that's that information is not so easily. Well, uh, Kyle Katarn was in that game. 
Kyle Katarn was in that VHS game. Was he? It was referenced. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you guys yeah. are you guys are going super deep, but uh, so <laughs> so um, like in your opinion, mm-hmm. Barry, um, what can they do to fix this mess with EA at this point? Is there anything that can be done? I kind of ag- agree with Gary Witta. Try to find a way out of the contract yeah. because another four years just sounds awful. Yeah. Um, after the release of the next game, the alternative is tell them to get some of these projects back up and running. If if Disney and Lucasfilm have that uh, that much control, really, um, that would be great. I think save the Uncharted one. I'd I'd probably cancel the open world one too because as fun as it sounds, it sounds like it would be a lot of time and energy spent, and who knows if it would have turned out good or not. I mean. Um, you know, Red Dead Redemption Two, great game, but then there's the the um, Just Cause Three, which came out, and they're releasing a fourth one already, and that's an open world game, and people are kind of mixed on that. I feel like people are getting tired of open world games. They they're tired of being dumped into it and being like, you have 400 hours of yeah. gameplay, and it's like I don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about a uh, uh, Battlefront Three? Is there oh. a talk about that? I haven't heard anything about Battlefront 3, though I feel like if they did do that, they would have to really amp up the offline single-player gameplay, and I don't think there's a chance that EA will ever do that. I own both games. I don't pay for a online multiplayer subscription, so I go in there. I can't do anything. I can, you know, yeah, I, I can play. I've heard that. Yeah, I can play arcade mode. I got it, and the first thing I want to do is play crate. I can't. <laughs> you know, like no. it's it's there, but I got to get yeah. online. I got to hopefully someone will pick it randomly and then they throw it into it. And hopefully I'll be put in a ship and not be running around on the salt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's uh, let's let's segue into I, I would. This isn't really a follow up to a story we talked about before, but there was the uh, the the Darth Vader fan film. Wait, what was the name of that? I it's um, it was called a Vader shards of the past. Yes, the Vader, the shards yes. of the past, and uh, that was produced by Star Wars Theory, the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really well done, and they sort of allude at the end. Spoiler alert: that um, Vader is uh, potentially hunting down a very much live Mace Windu. So, um, and we've we've speculated here. We, we we've dubbed him lovingly Crazy Mace. Mm-hmm. We think that there could be a very uh, Saw Guerrera-ish looking version of Mace Windu uh, prowling the um, you know the garbage canisters yeah. there of... Uh, yeah. He's got a baby Minoc living in his hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's just completely insane. And I just love this idea that, you know, much like what we saw with... Uh, Darth Maul, you know, kind of rehabilitating himself and kind of uh, coming back into the, the the sane world. You could do that with with uh, Mace Windu, but uh, we're not the only ones thinking this. Um, apparently, uh, Samuel L. Jackson was asked recently as he's out uh, promoting the uh, Glass, which is the 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 follow up to Unbreakable, the M Night Shyamalan film, and he was on the uh, the big Reviewski. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, is that a podcast? What's it's just on? like a show where they review films and go to media junkets and stuff. It's it's produced by uh, some Irish pop culture journalists at uh, the website joe.ie. Oh, of course. Yeah. Rolls right off the tongue. Anyway, they chatted with uh, 
uh, Mace Windu himself, Samuel L. Jackson, and asked him the, the Star Wars question. Uh, busy year ahead of you. Uh, when you take some time off, come back to Ireland and play some golf, man. <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> if only I could tell you. You have I to. Have no idea. Come back and have a word with the Star Wars people. You know, throw, throw your name into that for that. <laughs> No go. I'm that guy, you know. <laughs> all you got to do is call. Yeah. yeah, all you got to do is call. Crazy Maze, ready. I think that goes with, with any movie offer from Samuel Jackson. <laughs> He's the most prolific actor of all time. Oh. Anything oh, you yeah. want him in, just call. But I, I once heard Sam Jackson talk about that he, he is, uh, I mean, he's an actor's actor. There's nothing desperate about this guy. This guy just loves to work. He said that he, he's always, he talked about when he was doing theater back in the day. He said he was always auditioning for a play, rehearsing a play, and performing in a play all at the same time. He loves to work. He loves to and, work. And uh, he won't get too picky about the scripts that end up on his desk, I think, a lot of times. But I, I also think Sam's in a very good position in Hollywood where where roles are being written for him all the time. Mm-hmm. So he sees what he likes, and he likes what he sees. And so he'll sign on the dotted line and be in your movie tomorrow if you ask him. So, um, of course, we know Samuel Jackson has stated before that he would welcome a return to the Star Wars universe with open arms. So mm-hmm. just call him. But what I find interesting about this clip, of course, the journalist is Irish. And he once again, you know, this is the second time in the last month we've heard a reference to Star Wars shooting in Ireland. And uh, maybe they're maybe yes. they're just, you know, they're thinking more like retrospectively as opposed to thinking forward because I'm I'm pretty sure Star Wars filming is wrapped up in Ireland and I I don't I don't believe episode 9 has made a return unless of course they're going to go back to Skellig Michael which I've not heard any reports of the the for the first two films when they shot in Skellig Michael there was heavy heavy news coverage of it I mean it was the biggest thing to happen in that part of Ireland in the longest time at least that's how it kind of came off. And, of course, when Star Wars lands in your town, that's the biggest thing that's happened. So, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, we've heard nothing about a return to Ireland. We did hear that, um, that British politician Boris Johnson mentioned that the Obi-Wan Kenobi film is going to be shot in Ireland. But again, we you know a lot of people said, "Hey, that guy talks out of his ass all the time." So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you you got to take what he says with a grain of salt. But here we have this guy saying, "Hey, you know, uh, come out to Ireland, play golf, and be in a Star Wars movie." Samuel L. Jackson, and Sam's just like, "Just call." So I yeah. wonder what's going on with Ireland and Star Wars. I mean, is there anything really on the shooting schedule for that? That country, I don't know. I I don't know. Um, I mean, is it is it is it possible that there's some of the some of the TV stuff might be happening out there? No, I think totally unlikely. Okay, I think all totally right. unlikely. I think that sh- that stuff's all being shot in California, Manhattan okay. Beach, at mm-hmm. a studio out there. Well, something's going on Star Wars out there in Ireland because you, a goofy politician or no. I mean, the guy, I mean, what's he going to just make, make that up out of whole cloth? I mean, something's going on. But again, they could be thinking, you know, yeah, about the past thinking, yeah, as opposed right, to thinking about the right. future. Right. Maybe assuming, well, maybe assumptions are being made. I don't know. Could be. It could be. All right. Well, let's talk about the future here with uh, some Episode nine rumors. And, of course, with all rumors 
in case they do come true. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We do have to warn you. These could be spoilers. You know, today's rumor could be tomorrow's spoiler. So uh, some of these Episode Nine rumors recently appeared on the Star Wars Leaks subreddit. And we're just going to go through these. So, Barry, are you a spoiler avoider? Or are you a spoiler junkie? Or you just don't care? <laughs> I spoil myself rotten. All right. Yeah. yeah I like that. All right. Yeah. Let's spoil ourselves. Okay. What we like to do is we like to... Um, with these kinds of spoilers or these kinds of rumors, we like to say whether or not they are poodoo, which means we just don't believe it at all. It's just crazy. Uh, or the force might be strong with that rumor. So let's let, let's see what we all think. Um, here's one. There is a Duros character who has prominence within the resistance. A Duros character. And we haven't seen an on-screen Duros since episode four, New Hope, I I, I can't think of one. Yeah, we? you know that's um, there. There might have been one that snuck in somewhere in the prequels, but I'm not aware of it. Of course, you know the Duro species was uh, the spotlight certainly shown on on that species during the Clone Wars with Cad Bane. Yes, a Duros, but um, a Duros character is prominence within the Resistance. Well, number. Number one reason why I'm not sure if this is true is because we haven't seen any classic alien species in the Star Wars sequel films. And we've mentioned it here on the show. Other fans have complained about it. I don't know if those complaints actually reach the ears of the production crew. And they say, well, you know what? Maybe we should throw in a Duros or a Hammerhead and some Greedos in here and stuff. Maybe they, they will be trying to bring back some of that prequel and original trilogy aesthetic which i think the sequel trilogy sorely is lacking um but aduro's character is prominence within the resistance yeah you know i i a soft maybe on that one because like i said uh, the, the sequel trilogy has not shown any love to any of those legacy alien species so that's why i'm I, doubtful i say poodoo Mm. On this, because I think the Duros is a character design that is a, a, a tough sell mm. uh, for a, a prominent character. They make a great background character, um, but once they start talking and having a lot of action outside of you know animation or in the comics, I think it just it looks weird. Mm. Well, of course, the Nemoidian uh, species was derivative of the Duros. Yes, yes, and yes. you know, obviously, with more. A little bit more personality, I think, in the facial features, and especially in the eyes, you see more. Yeah, more articulation, for sure. Uh, Barry, what do you think? Do you think we could see a prominent Duros? I'm split, because I do think the Poe comics did have a Duros that flew with him, but I don't think he lived past... Yeah. Last yeah. Jedi. It's like, um, oh, yeah. Um, Mova, but, Volvi, or whatever yeah, his name was. Mova. 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 <laughs> Mova. Well, he had a name like Mova. that. I, it was, it was kind of like that. I, I don't remember. Right, right. Um, but they might. Dolores! <laughs> they might play it. A pull a Elo Asti and just recast the same kind of alien because they looked at the comics and thought, "Oh, I like that design. Let's let's put one of those in there." So and that yeah, is what's something with that. Yeah. They do. They've done that before too. With uh, you mentioned you mentioned Agent Kolar. Wasn't there another guy that looked kind of like Agent Kolar? Yeah, that yeah. they killed off. Yeah, <clears throat> you, you you had that happen. That situation happened a couple times in the prequels mm-hmm. with uh, Agent Kolar. And uh, in, in episode one, they had like a, the Indian like, woman, identical looking 
guy on the Jedi Council whose name oh, is. Who was the who was the Indian lady? Oh right. Oh okay, so you're thinking of um she had a twin or something going on. Yeah, something and weird. she was killed off in uh Order sixty six. So these you know, these characters kind of they get recast yeah. and they want to have the same but then they put all the facial apparatus and prosthetics and makeup on them and they're like, oh, you know, it's, it's close, but not close enough. And so they just then naturally right. rename the characters well, when it comes yeah, to what was like the name visual, of the so. what was the name of the Greedo in uh, Java's Palace? Was it like Beto? Beto. Mm-hmm. Didn't, <clears throat> yeah, they they re- they put him out on a an action figure of him. Yeah. And called him Beto. They did no they didn't. Right. No, no, he Beto never got his own unique action figure release. Well, it's high time that happened because he was the same as Greedo. I mean, they were wearing the same damn clothes yeah. and everything. <laughs> well, famously, didn't didn't Mark Hamill not play Luke in the Last Jedi? He said he was playing a different. Uh... Yeah, he oh. played Jake. <laughs> Jake. Played Jake. Well, Jake yeah. Skywalker. Yeah. See, it keeps happening. <laughs> keeps happening. All right, I say Pudu on uh, the Duros. All right, here's another rumor for you: Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, Rose Tico, not so much in the action as she was in The Last Jedi. She is, however, involved in an action sequence alongside Finn at some point. So, Mm. excuse me, could Kelly Marie Tran be... uh Maybe push to the sidelines a little bit in this in this film. Well, I think uh, so. Rose, I, I think so. I, I almost think you have to. I think the the main focus really needs to be on your chief protagonist and antagonist in this film, which would be Ray and Kylo. And I think um, a lot a lot of things that happen in the movie will bring us back to those two. So, dedicating a lot of screen time. To a relationship between Finn Rose. and Rose, or you know, having that sort of thing. Like Rose was in the spotlight in Episode Eight, and I think that's going to be her main contribution to the story. And then you also can't deny the fact that the character has been heavily criticized, much in the like the tradition of other Star Wars characters who were. Uh, you know, like a jar. Okay, I'll, I'll say it, like Jar Jar Binks. You know, obviously. Wait, featured- wait, wait. Are you are you are you equating Rose Tico to Jar Jar Binks? No, but I'm I'm equating the fan pushback mm-hmm. toward the character, possibly having an influence on the amount of screen time the character gets than in preceding films. It's like Jar Jar Binks is screen time diminished after the big fan outrage and pushback about his character in episode 1 right that is true and so i, I, I think yeah. i think there has to be at least a little bit of acknowledgement to the pushback Barry, where where do you where do you stand on the tico i i think this the force is strong with this one just because um and i don't think it's because of fan pushback i think it's just because she's not jj's character and so I think ah, when he did line. The Force Awakens, I think he had an idea of where it was going. And then when he saw The Last Jedi, I, he said he liked it. But I think going into the next film, I don't think he's going to be going, now what is Rose going to do? I yeah. think he's going to push no, her off to the right. side. It'll probably be a lower priority for she gets her. She gets her one big scene. She kisses Finn at the end and that's it. You know, like I don't think yeah. there's going to be that much uh, there. So I, I think there's a lot of validity to this rumor. But I also think it's a very easy rumor to make up. Yeah, well, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> right, it kind of is. Uh, it's certainly not, you know, ground groundbreaking. But uh, I, I think the force is strong with this one as well. I think she is going to be pushed off to the sidelines. Um, and I, I do want to say, for the record, I think Kelly Marie Tran 
gave everything she had. I, I, I think that it was just in a lot of ways it was a it was a poorly written character. But but Kelly Marie Tran really did do everything she could to uh, to give it more life. And um, you know, just like hey, look, Ahmed Best, man, he gave it his best. I mean, he really he really was committed to that part. And you know, history I, I think is going to judge him well for it. Um, but at the same time, you know, the character kind of fell flat. Very similar to uh, to Rose Tico. All right, here we go. Here's another. Hux is not involved in the latter of the film. Not to say he dies early, but his power position is diminished, and he is not a primary antagonist. I think the force is very strong with this. Kylo wants uh, Hux out. He 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 uh, has very little tolerance, very little patience for him. I could see him making some sort of move and pushing this guy off. Uh, to the sidelines and and he becomes a bit player by the second half of the film very very likely or maybe at some point in the film he gets arrested by the resistance they take him into uh in and lock him up um or he is a turncoat which mm-hmm. has been a rumor out there that hux is going to flip on the first oh. order and mm-hmm. and pull a callus enjoy yeah, the resistance those things could happen, but I think that he would be involved in the latter half of the. Maybe not. Maybe a lot of like the intrigue and the tug of war that goes on between the resistance and the first order. Maybe that stuff will be primarily wrapped up first half of the film, so the second half can really take a deep dive into the characters and mm-hmm. and where they stand. Hmm. Maybe even after the fall of the first order. You know, maybe Kylo is sort of a a rogue survivor of whatever takes down the First Order. And Mm -hmm. so he'll have to be dealt with more in the second half of the film. But the big political intrigue or or the conflict, the war, may be wrapped up in the first half of the film. What do you think about the idea that he gets gets pushed off to the side because early on in the film... uh, uh, Kylo Ren makes the decision to have the Knights of Ren run the show, and he just gets rid of all of the high-ranking officers who never were really on his side. Well, that could be. Hmm. That could be, but I think if a Sith is going to pull a coup like that or or, uh, a complete move toward domination, Hmm. that they wouldn't be pussyfooting around with anyone standing in their way. And Hux would be decapitated. You know, that's what I want out of my (laughs) Sith Lords. Or Knights of Ren or whoever. <laughs> right. I want them cutting heads off of anyone standing in their way. And I have the feeling Hux would definitely put up a fight in that, that situation. So, But, you know, this rumor says not to say he dies early, but his power position is diminished. Mm. So, And he's not the primary antagonist. Well, I'll argue that. He's never been the primary antagonist. Not at all. This guy's been riding on coattails ever since the beginning of The Force Awakens. And struggling to establish himself, I think. I think that's what I see with Hux, is a guy who, you know, maybe when he goes back to his quarters after uh, yelling and screaming at the, uh, at the First Order officers, he goes back in his quarters, he goes, you know, looks in the mirror and says, am I really cut out for this? Do, <laughs> do they like me? Does anybody like me? You know, he second guesses himself. Hux seems like that kind of... 
that kind of uh-huh. guy who's in that level of position and is never really sure if he should be in that level of position, mm. even despite his his ambition or his his mm. rise to power. He's he 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 seems like a character who might lack a little confidence to me. That's why he's always overcompensating with his boisterous speeches and his. I mean, there, I think there's no question that he's. Highly committed and motivated to seeing the First Order succeed. But I think at the end of the day, Hux is more comfortable working in Snoke's shadow. And then when Snoke was gone, now he's dealing, he has Kylo Ren one on one, and that just doesn't work for Hux. And I don't think he has the, the, the skills to overcome that. Mm hmm. Yeah. All remaining systems will bow to the First Order! Uh, this is um, this is definitely a, one of the more subtle characters uh-huh. in the, in the story. Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh, all right, let's let's. Uh, okay, so Richard Grant plays a tyrannical First Order general. I I, I don't know, maybe I guess. No, there's uh, been some rumors out there. Grant. Yeah, we about, know he's cast, right? There's been some rumors that he could possibly be playing Grand Admiral Thrawn, mm. but I don't. See, oh yes, yes I yes. do not see any sort of crossover like that happening from the books or animated series into the final film of the Star Wars saga. I think that's just going to make things more confusing. I think, if anything, these characters like Richard E. Grant, Matt Smith, possibly. I don't think Matt Smith has been uh, uh, confirmed. Or even like Kelly Marie Tran, Carrie Russell. I think these are really going to be characters that are on the boundaries of, of this whole story. You know, I mean... Uh, I don't think you're going to get much meat out of a Carrie Russell appearing in episode nine. I mean, now the character she's playing may be extremely important to the overall saga, and it may be extremely important to the story, but I don't think it's really going to eat up a lot of screen time. I think that's going to be going more toward the characters that have already been established, like you said, Barry, by J.J., And he'll want to see their story through all the way. So these new actors who are being added, also Domino Gleason, or no, not Domino Gleason, um, the, the Hobbit. Uh, what's his <laughs> name? Um, uh, is it Moynihan? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dominic Moynihan. Dominic Moynihan. Yeah. I think. Moynihan. I think you know those guys. I don't really see them <laughs> having like main lead roles throughout the whole film. I think we're just gonna get them in certain scenes. Oh man, Star Wars is so known for this. I mean, they hype these big actors. Um, you know, oh, so, um, Max von Sydow. Uh, you know, legendary actor cast. You know, yeah, cast for like three and a half seconds. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Even you know, even. Um, Benicio del Toro. Even Benicio, you know, really, you know, he. he he wasn't a major, a major player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, here comes the hate mail. You know why hate mail? I, I, uh, Jimmy I, Mack and Jason Swank making fun of stutterers. <laughs> last time we did that, remember that we got. Oh, I think it was very insensitive for you to make fun of people who stutter. No, I'm doing an impression of a character. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's for true. God's sake! <laughs> <laughs> It's so, fun to do, too. Send your emails to Porky Pig for crying out loud. <laughs> but again, Star Wars is known for that, you know, where they'll get a, a, a big name actor and, you know, they won't have necessarily 
a ton to do, a ton of significance. All right. Uh, Knights of Ren, certainly in the film and their screen time, is surprisingly lengthy. Matt Smith is said to have been on set dressed in dark robes and holding a lightsaber prop. Uh, Matt Smith from, uh, what's that, Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who. Uh, so Knights of Ren coming back. Barry, I like where you're, th- you're, you're thinking in that uh, the, mo- the smart money is going to be on the J.J. characters. J.J. Mm-hmm. Cannon here. And you notice a lot of this J.J. Cannon got overturned by uh, Ryan Johnson Cannon. So I think J.J. is going to be, um, I don't want to say he's going to ignore Episode Eight. I don't think he can. But I think he's going to be like, uh, yeah, all right, picking up where Episode Seven left off. Here's the Knights of Ren. Right. I, I think the Force is strong with this one. I think we're going to see um, some something with the Knights of Ren in this. Well, what's the idea behind them? So do we know that they're Luke's former students, or is that just a guess? That's just speculation, because Luke says that Kylo killed off. He said there were 13 students. Well, he took some with him, though. Yeah, and he said he killed half of them and took the other half with him. Okay. So, you know, we're left to assume that they could be the Knights of Ren. What are the chances of them, of of him turning to the the light side and some of them coming with him and then that's like the new jedi order i don't know i mean there's a lot of possibilities there we don't know how bad these guys are they could be good people who just took the wrong path and i was thinking too where were they the last two movies but then i remember the last two movies take place over like two days so yeah that is true so they could very well be a strong presence and around and we just didn't see them for the past two movies because they were like training on their planet and then they're Mm -hmm. like oh wow Two movies happened? I'm just curious to know what their association is to the First Order, if there even is any association between the Knights of Ren and the First Order, or if they're just some sort of forced cult that's uh, being guided by Kylo Ren. Obviously, Snoke has knowledge of them because he refers to Kylo as the the leader of the Knights of Ren in uh, The Force Awakens. So Kylo, or Snoke, obviously has knowledge of them and uh considers them to be something impressive Mm -hmm. so uh that yeah that's a big mystery knights of ren barely even alluded to in the first two films of this trilogy but they still remain a very tantalizing mystery Mm -hmm. yeah all right uh kylo has his helmet reforged but is more often helmetless in the latter half of the film. All right. So we're going to see. Let's just put it this way. Do you think that we're going to see a re-helmeted Kylo Ren at any point? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know what this whole reforged means. I mean, he wears a different helmet is what they should be saying. It's not like he <laughs> he didn't pick up those pieces of the helmet when he left it in the turbo lift after he stormed out of there. So I'm sure they were just disposed, right? You know, he didn't. Yeah. Now tell the stormtroopers to go clean up that mess and put it in my quarters. No, I, you know, he just punched it, left it. They showed it sitting there on the floor after he stormed out. I'm sure that, you know, one of those stormtrooper custodians just came and swept it up and threw it away. <laughs> so, I mean, yes. this, yeah, reforged. Let's just say he, he probably has another one. But I did hear about this, this reforged story. I heard it before where they said that you can see where he like super glued his helmet all back together and there's like these like red veins running through it that kind of indicate where the where it had shattered and then hit Oh, he can only find red together. glue? Well, that's what I mean, I'm just guessing, you know. It's, I thought it was I thought it was red when it was wet but it dried clear. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, 
Star Wars super glue, uh, you know, <laughs> adhesive right. from a galaxy far, far away. I, I am not an expert in that. All right, let's see. Uh, what do we else we got? Um, uh, ben pilots the Falcon. Are we going to see a moment where Kylo Ren... Is it, this could be a flashback. This could be uh, Kylo, maybe a redeemed Kylo Ren coming back as Ben, piloting the Falcon, maybe sitting next to Chewie, taking his father's place at Chewie's side. Or maybe and the film ends with Ben and Chewie flying that, the pal- Falcon that, off on looking for some adventure or something. You know, that could be. What do you what do you, what do you think, Pudu? Hmm. Well, like or you said, if they are that. going to start incorporating more flashbacks into this film, which I think they are, it could be part of a flashback scene or it could be some revolutionary thing that would happen in the latter half of the film where Ben has actually taken control of the Falcon and it's his ship then. I mean, it makes sense. He's Han Solo's son. So mm-hmm. if, he, if, he's, if anyone's going to be flying the Falcon, it should be Ben. I'm still disappointed we didn't get to see Luke fly the Falcon, which is what I wanted to see in Episode Eight. But, uh, you know, he wasn't flying anywhere. <laughs> So uh. no, no. There, there, there were rumors. I, I remember there being rumors that not only was he going to pilot the Falcon, he was going to do it all with his mind. Mm. Oh, cool! Yeah, right. <laughs> that he was just going to uh, sit there in the it, not even touch an instrument mm. and just navigate that ship, uh, pilot it with his with his mind. I just uh, that wow, that would have been really cool. That really would have been cool. Um, here's one. Uh, Poe also flies the Falcon. Alongside Naomi Aki's Vera Calrissian, so we could see a a sort of a new generation Han with a new generation Calrissian side by side in the in the Falcon. Yeah, what do you think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Right? You know, yeah. listen. More screen time for the Millennium Falcon makes me a happier Star Wars fan. So mm-hmm. if Poe wants to fly it. If if Kylo wants to fly R2 it, R two and three PO. If freaking three PO wants to fly it, bring it on. Let's see more bring of the it Falcon. On. Okay, all right. Um, Luke is involved. Oh, Carrie Russell. Yeah, you know Carrie Russell is another name that's been confirmed. She is in Episode Nine. She's a favorite of J.J. Abrams. I think he created uh, the, the show Felicity mm-hmm. with Carrie Russell. That's right. Um, so. Carrie is involved with Luke's storyline. I don't know what kind of a rumor that. I mean, you could make that connection. That's like six degrees. Uh, yeah, you know? it's just, everyone's involved, involved with Luke's storyline. <laughs> right. If you want to look at it that way, I mean, this is whole... really saying Carrie Russell is in the movie, yeah. which is not so much a, a rumor. But what they're insinuating with this rumor is that there might be something a little bit more than just friendship between the two. Oh, if she's involved in Luke's storyline, maybe Shimara Jade, maybe. Shimara Jade, Maybe. is that what's going on? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I think that might be confusing uh, for people uh, who aren't, uh, you know, it'd be confusing for everyone, I, I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that were the case. Um, yeah, that, I think that's a stretch if she's going to be Mara Jade. I, I think that's a stretch. I, I think they probably would introduce her as a new and unique character to Episode Nine and not rely on old expanded universe stuff but again expect the unexpected i think with uh, episode nine so yeah it's possible it's possible <laughs> it's possible all right what else we got oh luke is involved in a flash oh oh this one's crazy this one's great mm-hmm. luke is involved in a flashback scene with han and leia where 
Ben is dropped off to train a young Luke. No. For training. For training. And Luke ben is younger. Is yeah, this is kind of word weird. This is, this is worded strangely. I'm trying to clean it up as I'm reading it. Yeah. yeah. But let me just read it verbatim. Luke is involved in a flashback scene with Han and Leia, wherein Ben is dropped off for training to a young Luke. An eight-year-old Ben was cast. Ben? An eight-year-old Ben was cast, and he will have to talk with Luke about wanting to be a Jedi and a guardian of the good in the guy. This sounds like a really poor uh, Google Translate uh, thing. <laughs> well, this, is, this is obviously... Translated from another language. Well, what is, is yeah? What it's basically saying is is that the flashback scene is going to feature Han and Leia dropping off Ben for training by Luke as a Jedi, and then at some point they're going to sit down and have a heart to heart, and Ben is going to tell Luke that he wants to be this, you know, guardian for good. And I think it's just sort of supposed to be kind of a a reflection on the Anakin character. You know, when you think about mm. young Anakin, mm-hmm. you know, Shmi would always say, yeah, he's, he's a good kid. He only knows how to do good things. And and that was always a, a goal of George Lucas is like to show, like, how does someone go from being so good to being so bad? You know, what pushes them in the, those directions? And, and with Anakin Skywalker was uh, uh, unquenchable thirst to control and, 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 and display power that's what anakin always wanted and then that blinded him but he was actually you know and he became darth vader but he was actually a really good kid at his core for you know and that's how he was raised so how does someone go from being so good to being so bad and then i think you're going to want to deal with like an echo here with with young ben sort of reflecting the attitudes Mm. and morals of his grandfather at the same age but yet he falls to the dark side as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I would like to see something like that, actually. You know, whether or not it's going to happen, I don't know. But I, I do believe there's going to be flashback scenes in Episode Nine, And I think that the story of Ben and Luke and Ben's failure, I think that really does need to be explored more on screen than it has been in the first two films. Yeah. Yeah, and there, the, the rumors of a Harrison Ford cameo in this film are really heating up. Uh, we're seeing it more places, and there's a lot of thought that says, well, this will help to sort of, you know, mend the wounds. We talked about this at the beginning of the show, where the original generation of fans wanted to see the Holy Trinity back together again. Uh, could they do some trick photography? Uh, did they, did, you know, is some of this footage with... Uh, Carrie Fisher from Force Awakens with Harrison Ford is that the loophole that that that, that it's not Harrison Ford coming back and shooting new stuff it's the using footage of Harrison and Carrie both together that's what I'm thinking it probably is um, so well, you guess? know I, I, if I could just throw in a little uh, info that. Carrie's Fisher Todd laid on uh, our friend Clayton Sandal at ABC. Um, he did say there are lots of minutes of footage and not just outtakes, unused new content that could be woven into the storyline. And uh, it looks like it was shot yesterday. And we know that JJ did significant 11th hour edits to The Force Awakens prior to its release. I have to think that there's a lot of Carrie Fisher stuff that was 
part of that original Force mm. Awakens storyline that did end up on the cutting room floor. And, you know, complete scenes and, and things of that nature that, you know, didn't end up on the Blu-ray, obviously, because it would have presented probably a very different story than the one we got in The Force Awakens. And we've noted that Lucasfilm has been reluctant to reveal alternate plans or ideas for the sequel trilogy by, you know, withholding things like behind-the-scenes books and that sort of information. And I think that part of the reason is is because there's a very vastly different version of The Force Awakens that exists. Mm -hmm. A vastly different version than the one we finally got. So I think a lot of that is going to be mined for fresh content to create for Episode Nine, And, uh, again, a great way to bring back Carrie Fisher. So Todd Fisher says they're not allowed to talk about the details of anything, but they're thrilled. The Fisher family is thrilled by what they have been able to do with that existing footage of Carrie. Um, Oh, and one other thing I want to note is that some people, uh, some websites were claiming that uh, Todd Fisher was on Good Morning America, and that's where this all broke. And I went absolutely crazy (laughs) trying to find that footage. So crazy that I had to text Clayton Sandall himself and say, Clayton, where the hell is this interview? He said, ah, that was misrepresented. It was a phone interview that he had done with Todd Fisher. Not anything Uh, on camera. Todd was not at the Good Morning America studios. But there were some very reputable websites that were reporting that Todd was on Good Morning America. But I reached out to uh, Clayton at ABC, and he told me that was not the case at all. So don't go Uh, looking for that video because you're going to go crazy like I did. Okay. Luke has shot scenes with both uh, Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. Uh, Good. All right. <laughs> Good. Let's hope. Uh, let's hope. I mean, I, I don't think anybody is real surprised that these Mark Hamill rumors are. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, Mark Hamill is officially a member of the cast of Episode Nine. Uh, that's been a, that's been uh, you know gospel for a, for a long time. How much he's in it, what role he plays in terms of you know uh, Force Ghost versus real corporeal. Uh, human in the story, we we don't know, but it's certainly not out of the realm of uh, believability that he's going to interact with both Ray and uh, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. Uh, finally, here's the last one: Ray visits Tatooine. Ray visits Tatooine. She's, she's sitting there. She's like, "There's something familiar about this place." Uh huh. I don't know. Well, like something out of a dream. Well. I feel well, like well, you're like what? All of a sudden, Yoda's there on Tatooine too. <laughs> no, okay. Hey, listen, hey, JJ copied enough of out of a New Hope for uh, Episode Seven. I don't think he's going to go so deep as to start copying direct scenes from Empire Strikes Back and putting Ray on Tatooine with Yoda. But um, you know, it would it would be like that. She'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." This this. I, I, she's like, "Well, oh, I'm I'm right in my element here." This. This place feels like home. <laughs> now, we, we, there was a story, and uh, I, th- I don't, I don't think we actually got to this. We we teased it, but it was one of those we didn't get to. This is uh, going back uh, to earlier in the in January that um, it was leaked what J.J. Abrams gave as a a gift to um, some of the crew that worked on the film. 
And the gift was a bad robot shirt and a little bottle of sand, a little bottle of beans and a personalized note. <laughs> beans? Beans, beans. Um, and a personalized note from J.J. Abrams. The note attached to the gift reads as follows. Dear cast and crew of episode nine, <laughs> there are no words to properly express our gratitude and amazement. Your work has been next level spectacular and you're, you've done it all with kindness and respect. There are no words, but there are jackets. <laughs> all right, so he's giving away jackets, apparently. So the note is signed by J.J. Abrams, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy, producer Michelle Redwan, and executive producer Callum Green. Now, for fans, the bits worth focusing on are those little jars included with the crew gift, starting with the sand, which is apparently very fine, and it is said to be from, quote, a sacred place on a familiar planet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some are saying, oh, this is, th- this is Tatooine. Others are saying this is Jeddah, mm-hmm. the planet from uh, Rogue One that housed that Jedi temple. And uh, the kyber crystals and, and all of that. And there's also talk about, oh, well, will we see Rey, uh, cr- you know, create her own lightsaber and have to go to Jeddah to get the kyber crystal, blah, blah, blah. Um, wh- what do you guys think? You think it's more more? Do you think it's it, it, Barry? You think it's a better shot of this being Tatooine or mm. Jeddah? What does Disney care about more, (laughs) creating, uh, you know, continuity between which films? I've never heard of Jetta. Was it in any of the episodic films? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I I just I can't imagine them going there. Now, I did hear that these bottles, people were speculating that these were from the guy who worked on the thing as like an additional gift because he gifted it to someone else. Mm. I don't know if that's the case. Okay, But Uh if that is the case, he's still basically saying this sand is important. I picked some up when we were filming. Was it Chris Mocked? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Was, I, was that Chris Mocked peddling you know, his DVDs I, again? I'm, I'm surprised there's still sand left in Tunisia after Mocked <laughs> went there. I, I have one of those vials, and I looked at it, and it looks like the same sand. Oh, really? Okay. So I'd, I would say, and also that, that um, I think that's in our universe sort of writing, talking about how it's, um, what was it? A sacred place? Yeah. There's no mm-hmm. sacred places on Tatooine, but to fans, it's a sacred yes. place. Yes. And right. I and I think when he went to this filming location, um, you know, whoever this crew member is, or if it was from JJ, um, to go there is an important thing for a Star Wars fan, and so you collect a little sand as people do, and it just makes sense. Now the beans, I have no idea. Maybe they ate a lot of beans on set, and it's a joke. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. But I do think ta- I, they need to go to a planet that we've seen yes. in the first six films because it, it feels so far removed. I love the sequel trilogy, but without the aliens and without the planets, like, I, I just, you know, I feel like it's <laughs> it's like a new film series and, and uh, Luke Han and Leia are cameos. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. It's, it's uh, weird. That is, that is well said. Yeah. And... Um, Others have made that um, have 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 sort of made that that observation as well. That uh, in fact, we had a faithful Rebel Force Radio listener, uh, Adam Giffey, and he talked about it, um, comparing the way that the sequel films have treated the the legacy characters, and and how the 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 Creed films, mm-hmm. um, sort of the spinoffs of the of the Rocky uh, movies, have they treated the 
you know, Rocky and some of the characters from the, those original movies. And um, he was kind of using it as a way to say, well, this is a great way to do it. And this is a not so great way to do it. But and, and, and I, I remember I, went, I listened back to the show and I kind of threw Jim for a loop. And I said, hey, are, Jim, are the sequel films, are they sequels or are they spinoffs? <laughs> and and you really didn't know how to answer that at first. You, I, it it, it kind of threw you. <laughs> I think they're sequels. I, I still uh, see a, a, a steady thread of mythology running through them all. So. I, I guess what's missing for me is you don't feel that connection to the planets. Like there was a lot of planet hopping in the prequels, and I was like, oh, there's Tatooine. But then they talk about how far it is and where it's located within the galaxy mm-hmm. to Coruscant. And it makes you feel like more a part of the galaxy. I don't think anyone's really said in the sequels, well, we're in the uncharted region, unknown regions or whatever. I mean, like they haven't really placed it. So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're kind of having an adventure in an, in an unexplored territory of space. That's mm-hmm. exciting. And I feel like they, they should have, I don't know, telegraphed that somehow. But um, I think going back to Tatooine would be amazing. Like, you know, we're talking about not crying. I think people, if she's going there for a very important reason... I think people might cry. I'll tell you what, I'd be the first to jump up and start cheering if a Jawa jumps out and blasts BB-8. <laughs> That'd be so good. I mean, oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> I mean, that's no knock on BB-8, of course. No. 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 It's just, we want to see some Jawas. Yeah. <laughs> all right well that's gonna wrap things up for this week's show uh thank you so much uh barry you are welcome anytime sir thank you uh this was a lot of fun you you added a lot to the show and a lot to the discussion thank you for lending your uh your talents and your your uh, knowledge of the in particular the video game uh, industry uh where else can folks uh listen to you if they want to hear some more Ah. Barry, you've got a YouTube channel as well as a podcast. Yes, so you can search Segabits on YouTube. You can also go to segabits.com where we have all our content there. And then you can search Segabits on iTunes and I'm sure other podcast apps. But, um, you know, if, if you like video game news, if you like talking about old video games, that's the kind of stuff I cover. And I'm just happy to be on both as a longtime listener. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Well, it's great. And uh, I can't wait to meet you when we get to... Uh Chicago here in uh, what is it now? Uh, 76 days, 7 hours, 43 minutes, and 47 seconds. <laughs> Star Wars Celebration Chicago. Uh, don't forget, uh, Patreon is a great place, uh, as Barry has found out, to uh, <laughs> never miss an episode of our bonus content like RFR Rush Hour, RFR Rewind, and RFR Q&A. Uh, and all kinds of exciting things all happening there at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. The email address, show at rebelforceradio.com. And the voicemail line, 708-3201-RFR. That's 708-320-1737. Check us out on Facebook, the official website, rebelforceradio.com. We've got merch over there. Get yourself a t-shirt, a mug, good quality items. Please check it out also uh itunes which is a great place to subscribe to not just our podcast but berries as well any podcast that uh uh you enjoy you can subscribe and review right there at itunes and uh we just for rebel force radio we have one rule on those reviews please make them good and you can find rebel force radio streaming at wgnplus.com uh we also have our own youtube channel you can uh, listen to 
uh, not just the the Rebel Force Radio podcast, but man, we've just got all kinds of uh, greatest hits from uh, over a, a dozen years of podcasting about Star Wars, uh, and and including many many Billy D quotes of the week, which is a, a favorite here on uh, Rebel Force Radio. And Jim, I know you're having lots of fun loading up the YouTube channel with some of those. Uh, some of those greatest hits. Absolutely. And that yeah, that's what they are. Greatest hits too. And I, I've been having a blast going through our archives, pulling out all those old shows and, and listening to uh to some of those great moments and most unusual moments too. We're also focusing on as well. And uh also uh yeah, the Patreon community has access to RFR Clone Wars Declassified. And uh those are, are great to listen to. Those episodes are all uh They've all been remastered uh, and and re-edited, so a lot of uh, non-essential Clone War talk is not included in those shows anymore. I mean, uh, you know, uh, take out all the dated references and, and just get right to the meat and the the uh, analysis of each of those episodes of the Clone Wars. Uh, I don't know about you, Jason, but I think a lot of our audience members have been binge-watching Clone Wars on Netflix, getting themselves primed and ready for Clone Wars to return later this year on the Disney Plus streaming app. So what better way to, to do your rewatch than to have a good re-listen to our roundtable discussions about each of those episodes. And with great guests, too. Guys like Ernest Klein, Kyle Newman, of course, Paul Bateman. Uh, great, great people uh, jumping on each one of those roundtable discussions and uh, talking all about what made the Clone Wars so awesome. So, yeah, do a rewatch, do a re-listen. Join us at the RFR Patreon community, patreon.com slash Radio. All right, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next time for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And I'm Barry Harmon. Yeah. And remember. The Force will be with you always. Who's taking a bathroom break? Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs>